0: Hi time machine? Out of a DeLorean? We came, we saw, we kicked its ass!
1: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Film Feast podcast. Uh, I am your host Matt Bledsoe and this week we are talking about The Departed. Uh, to help me talk about that, I am joined by a good friend of the podcast and the man who joined me for the world's most definitive podcast episode, On the 2006 remake of When a Stranger Calls, it's Mark Warner. Mark, how you doing? (laughs) I'm doing great, Matt. Happy to be here talking about
0: another 2006 movie that some might say is a little bit better than the last one we talked about. (laughs) The the two best movies, 2006. (laughs) Honestly, at this point, you should only bring me on to talk about 2006 movies. (laughs) That should be my thing. I, if you like, want it to be your gimmick, I think we could look work it out. At <laughs> all the territory we have to milk. Uh, Dead Man's Chest, uh, Tokyo Drift, Pan's Labyrinth, The Da Vinci Code. Oh, God, what I would give to talk about The Da Vinci Code. <laughs> and then we can talk about Superman Returns,
1: and you'll be canceled. <laughs> oh, you know what's funny? I mean, all those movies are celebrating 15-year anniversaries because it's 2021, so... Maybe. I'm going to have a busy year is what you're saying. Yes. A lot of anniversaries to be celebrated, but um no. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, people responded very well to that episode. I didn't know how that was going to go over because I just didn't know how that was going to go. Our three hour when a stranger calls original remake. But uh, people seem to like it. So uh, I want to go
0: back and see exactly how much time we spent talking specifically about the remake.
1: Because I want to <laughs> see how much uh, that bulked up. The three hours. <laughs> I mean, we did the math. I'm pretty sure that both movies put together are shorter than our podcast on both movies. <laughs> if you do the runtime. <laughs> it
0: 100%. Well, I don't know. We did kind of talk about when a stranger calls back. So. That's true.
1: That's true. That had, took a little bit of time. But still, we <laughs> it was a lot. of <laughs> it was it was it. Listen, it was comprehensive. No one else needs to do a podcast on the remake because we've done. We've done the best one, I think. <laughs> Not to toot our own <laughs> horn. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Well,
0: we're actually recording this on the day that Scream 4 is celebrating its 10th anniversary. Now, I've always been a fan of Scream 4. But it to. seems like, according to Twitter, hell yeah, <laughs> according to Twitter, there are a lot of fans of that movie. And I want to know, where did they come from? <laughs> and yeah. at a certain point, On one of when a stranger calls anniversaries, is it going to see an equally warm embrace? I guess we can only wait and find out, but (laughs) I kind of hope so. Because I'm still waiting for that Scream Factory (laughs) Blu-ray. Maybe when they hit
1: the 20th anniversary, you might start to see some more love for that remake. But um, I didn't know. It's funny because I saw Scream 4 in a theater when it came out. I don't think I even knew that it wasn't that liked when it came. I don't think I, I wasn't dialed into like uh, I definitely wasn't on Twitter and I wasn't dialed into like whatever was going on in the horror communities or film at the time so I was just like I love Scream 4 I, it's my second favorite in the whole franchise find the first one I mean so and now it's like yeah everyone loves Scream 4 right I don't know what happened so
0: yeah it's my second favorite too everyone I saw it with on that opening weekend thoroughly enjoyed it and yeah, I didn't really listen to any horror themed podcasts for a while. I didn't visit any I wasn't on Twitter, didn't visit any horror themed websites that much or anything. So yeah, I had no idea about this hatred of it until like five years later. And now that seems all but gone.
1: Well, that that's a good thing. I don't know what happened, but I'm glad the tide turned on that one. That's one that's one I can get behind. I can get behind that uh reappraisal of Scream 4. <laughs> As can I. It deserves it. It does, it does. Um so, now, if we
0: ever get a reappraisal of Scream 3, I'm not, <laughs> I know you and I disagree on this one. I'm not sure I'll be able to uh, get on board with that one. You, oh, say so you're not on board with Scream 3.
1: I'm not, no, I'm not At a all. Scream 3 okay. fan. I, it's my least favorite, but I still like it. I think it's still very watchable. That's the, you know, it, it's, I think I gave it like three stars in Letterboxd. I think it's good. I like, listen, I'm a sucker for movies on movie sets. That That's a big part of Scream 3. <laughs>
0: I, there's some great hollywood stuff in there. Parker Posey is pretty hilarious playing the hollywood diva. Emily Mortimer's great as like newly discovered actress but Everything with Sidney Prescott in that movie is just why why are we
1: even why why are we even talking about Scream Three? We're supposed to be talking about I don't know. The And Depi- the funny thing is, it came up recently with Mike Scott on the Killer Hardboiled episode. Uh so <laughs> Scream Threes and we he likes it I think more than I do, but I still like it. I could I could watch any Scream movie at any time. It doesn't matter, but um yeah, we're wait, we're already off topic. But. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, as I do, as you usually ask most people, uh, have you watched anything recently that you want to bring up that's been good or interesting that you want to talk about?
0: I always watch good movies, Matt. <laughs> that's all I watch. Have you ever seen my Letterboxd? I give, like, less than 10 movies a year uh, two and a half stars <laughs> or below. Oh, I'm a very true. enthusiastic movie watcher. That yeah, is true. Yeah, sure, I have a few I can talk about. Um... I recently did a rewatch of the first three Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but okay. I'm only going to talk about one of them, because for the longest time, I thought that Curse of the Black Pearl was the best one. I mean, that's still, that's a great movie. I'd give that four and a half stars. But I have to say, after watching, uh, rewatching Dead Man's Chest, that's just one of the best movies ever made, in my opinion.
1: I, listen, I'm going to say something right now. <laughs> Is this your? you're coming back at me? I came at you with screams. Hey, and are you are coming at me with dead man's chest? No, I'm good. Okay. Listen, everybody hear me out on this. Okay. <laughs> I've only I've okay. I saw the first parts of Caribbean like on. I didn't see it the theater. I saw it like on DVD and I was that came out like what? Oh, three. Yes. Okay. So it would have been 15, 16 minutes when it came out as a teenager. And for some reason, when I watch it at home, I did not like it at all. I thought it was, I mean, this is going <laughs> to I thought it was boring, which I don't think anyone's ever used to describe pirates. Of the Caribbean <laughs> like, uh, but that's the only time I've seen it like, ye- like long time ago. And I have only, I saw one sequel. I think it was the fourth. I don't even know what it was called in a theater. And I had some bad food before I went there. I can't remember what it was like bad fast food. And I was sick for like the whole movie. So uh, I was in you a don't bathroom. need you
0: don't need bad food to ruin on Stranger Tides for you. That movie kind of <laughs> does that to itself.
1: <laughs> my friend, literally, my friends afterwards were like, you didn't miss much. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I went there. I had no idea what was going on because I had like seen the first one once. Hadn't seen the other two. Uh, didn't know what was going on. Still haven't seen the last one that came out. Um so I'm not saying I don't like Pirates of the Caribbean. Please, don't want I'm not saying that. That was me as a teenager. Who knows what I was thinking? I need to rewatch it. Um, but I, yeah, I just it's never it's never been my franchise. I know people love it. I just I have no I have no connection for it really.
0: That's fair. It took I didn't watch it until right before Dead Man's Chest came out because when I saw the trailers for the first one, for some reason, I thought it looked stupid. But when I finally saw it, I think I watched it twice in the same day because I reacted so strongly to it. And then I was fully on board for Dead Man's Chest. And Dead Man's Chest, oh my god. God. I don't even think I can talk about it without gushing about it. But just (laughs) the way, like, everything about that movie, the performances, the direction, the visuals, the CG, just everything is just like that everyone is operating at the top of their game. You know, I'm such a big Gore Verbinski fan. Like, I respond to directors like him and Zack Snyder, who are not afraid to just take their material completely seriously. And even though Pirates of the Caribbean, those movies are hilarious because of, uh, obviously, Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow and a lot of just... the way The, the way the scenes are choreographed, they're very funny. But he still takes the material deadly seriously. And it's... I don't want to sound like an edgelord here, but (laughs) I love just how dark that movie gets. Like, one of the first things we see in this Disney movie is are people being led into this, like... I don't know if it's a prison in the middle of the ocean. I don't know what this place is, but we just see people in cages with birds pecking their eyes out and then we just see all these coffins being thrown out of the building and drifting away to sea. it's like that's how at the time the like biggest that was the biggest uh, opening weekend for a movie at the time and that's how it opened and like fuck yes we need more movies like
1: that <laughs> i've forgotten that was the biggest opening weekend for a movie up to that point that's crazy wow it didn't yeah. last that long it was like two years before the dark
0: knight just Oh this right. okay <laughs>
1: Actually,
0: I don't even know that might have it might have been topped by Spider man three in between that we might have just seen like the biggest opening weekend every year at that point until uh, <laughs> I guess uh, I guess Avengers was the had the title for a while. maybe it still isn't I'm getting off topic you're gonna have to, <laughs> you're gonna again you you're gonna have to try and rein me in. I like to ramble, but yeah, dead man's chest um Everyone's seen it, I'm sure, but... Except me, apparently. <laughs> you, gotta, you
1: gotta <laughs> I gotta, I've got to watch these movies, make honestly. In your
0: heart for Dead Man's Chest, because just, that movie is perfect. It takes us over an hour, or it takes us about an hour to meet the villain, and then that's a movie that gives you a truly great villain introduction, and I hope you're listening to this, Kevin Feige, because
1: you don't <laughs> know how to give us a great villain introduction. <laughs> He's but definitely that... listening to this. I've got a good authority. <laughs> he listens to this podcast. <laughs> you see, I'm
0: rambling. I'm not really clarifying what I love about it so much, but just it's pure operatic movie making of the highest level. And we need more directors like Gore Verbinski. I'll also give a shout out to The Lone Ranger, which I think is an awesome
1: movie. Well, that one's rough now because that has Army Hammer. It doesn't.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Was... Yeah. I, and then Johnny Depp, I think. I don't think people have. I don't know. I don't know what his status is right now. I thought people were mad at him. They weren't mad at him. I don't know. Um, he's divisive. We'll
0: call him that. Yeah. I don't think yes. he's been fully canceled yet, but uh, yeah, there's pe there's pe- people have different opinions on him. Let's not wade into those waters.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Well, I think what I took away from that is I need to go back and watch the first three pirates movies and then maybe the fifth one and skip the fourth one. Is that, will,
0: uh, <laughs> The fifth one is Dead Men Tell No Tales. And I'm actually, I want to rewatch that one because I only saw it uh, one time in theaters and I didn't care for it that much. But I've got, got, I'm so invigorated from watching those first three. (laughs) Although I will say, if you do go back and watch them, the only problem with Dead Man's Chest, as is the problem with most movies that are shot back to back with their sequel the one that comes after it that it it ends on a cliffhanger and then you watch at world's end which is fine it's a good movie but it is a major step down from just the pure energy the pure adrenaline that is dead man's chest okay all right fair enough um all right yes i will Uh, let you know when i watch those it'll be first first that was a long uh yeah that was a long talk about another 2006 movie (laughs) um so What else will I talk about? Oh yeah, I will talk about one. I've made, I guess I've made it my life's mission to champion this movie because it originally was supposed to come out in 2001 and then 9-11 happened and because this movie, part of the plot involves uh, two guys sneaking a bomb onto an airplane, we figured they probably can't laugh at this right now, so it got bumped back to April of the following year, uh, bombed horribly, and yeah, I think the only people who discover it now are people who watch it on Comedy Central, but <laughs> Kino recently put out a Blu-ray of it, and I don't think I've... I, I see numerous pictures of Kino Halls on Twitter. I don't think I've ever seen this movie in any of them, so it is my duty to uh, to promote <laughs> this movie that I haven't even said the name about yet, Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's called Big Trouble, And you're probably thinking, we've all heard of Big Trouble in Little China, Mark. What are you talking about? And I'm like, why did you start thinking before I finished talking? Did I say in Little China? No, I just said Big Trouble. Because that's the name of the movie. It's Big Trouble from 2002, directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, starring... I'm going to try and recite the entire cast off the top of my head. And when you finish hearing this, you'll be like, wow, that's impressive. (laughs) Tim Allen, Rene Russo... Stanley Tucci, Janine Garofalo, Tom Sizemore, Johnny Knoxville, Zoe Deschanel, Ben Foster. I believe it was uh, Sophia Vergara's first movie. Oh, Jason wow. Lee. I, I, I'm already forget. Did I say Dennis Farina already? I don't if think so, you said I'll that. say <laughs> him twice because uh, he deserves to be mentioned twice. And uh, Andy Richter. I say that'll be the last uh, somewhat no, somewhat noticeable name in the credits and it's just about these uh people whose lives kind of coincide in Miami uh thanks to a suitcase with a bomb mm-hmm. in it that everyone thinks looks like a garbage disposal and yeah it's kind of just this uh story about um a father a father finding love with a woman in an unhappy marriage about these two dimwitted criminals trying to uh make it big about this, uh, the CEO of a large company whose uh, ownership is trying to murder him. <laughs> About a homeless drifter who falls in love with the maid of the, uh, of Rene Russo and Stanley Tucci. It's just, it's too, it's really too much to describe. There's a lot going on in it, but it's nice and short. It's only like 80 minutes. And just the jokes come fast and furious in that movie. It's really, it's not a, uh, it's not about the comedy's not very broad. It's kind of I want to say subtle, but it's very quirky, let's say that. Um trying to think if I can find a bit to describe the comedy uh I don't know. I can't. I'm too excited I, I, to talk okay. about this part. It's okay. I
1: I have a friend uh who who I know who who I think last year or very recently, I can't remember, he watched this movie randomly and then also kept talking about it. I think he gave it like four and a half or five stars in letterbox. He loved it. And uh, I was like, I know about big trouble. I, m- I mostly remember it because it was the movie that got bumped by. um, uh, 9-11 uh, because it was like airport and bomb and that wasn't happening. Uh, so, and it had this crazy cast and my friend was like raving about it. I was like, I've never heard anybody rave about big trouble in my life, but now, so now you're the second person. <laughs>
0: so. I will admit I've got like, It's one that kind of I hold a lot of nostalgia with, so that I gave it four and a half on Letterboxd. Honestly, it's probably worth a four, maybe three and a half. I don't want to overhype people, but um, no, I think even if you don't love it as much as I do, you're still gonna have a good time with it. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a part they're uh, they're driving to the airport at the end, and Johnny Knoxville he's driving and he sees the arrivals and departures sign, and he's like, "All right, which one do we want? Arrivals or departures?" We're arriving, but uh, then we're departing. <laughs> and that's the kind of humor you get with uh, Big Trouble.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's very Sonfeld, and the cast sounds pretty great. So, uh, okay, now between the two of you raving about it, I uh, will have to check it out. I'm curious if it's streaming anywhere. I know there was seen a Kino Blu-ray of it. It's a funny thing. <laughs> like, Oh, I yeah, that
0: like... one, there was not a lot of fanfare about it. Probably because, um, I don't know, maybe Kino didn't think they'd be a... Maybe Kino knew they weren't going to make a lot of money off of it, and they were just like, The people who need to know about this movie will know about it. And they have a point because I found out about it. The only (laughs) new bonus feature they did was a new commentary with Barry Sonnenfeld, which honestly doesn't seem that different from the commentary that he put on the DVD uh, when it first came out. But that's a fun commentary. He's got a very deadpan way of talking. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's if you feel like taking a gamble on it, well, Can rent it first, rent it on iTunes or Voodoo. Uh I'm not gonna like force you to blind buy this (laughs) Blu-ray. But if you watch it and you like it, then yeah. Bind the yeah, buy the Blu-ray. It's a funny movie. (laughs) I'm taking way too much time to talk about these movies when we got to get to the departed, so I'm just gonna talk about the last one. Uh, I'll be in and out really quickly, but um last week I just stumbled upon it on stars while I was kind of desperate for something to watch. Are you familiar with The Guard,
1: Matt? It sounds very familiar. Um, no, go ahead and tell me about that, because it I, sounds really familiar, though. <laughs> so it's the first film from John Michael McDonough, who's
0: the brother of Martin McDonough of In Bruges and Three Billboards fame. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. And yeah, he, he's got, they've got very sen- similar sensibilities and senses of humor. So this one has Brendan Gleeson and Don Cheadle. Brendan Gleeson plays uh, a drug addicted, sex, I don't want to say sex addicted, but he's very, (laughs) he's a cop who, let's say, doesn't play by everyone else's rules. He's addicted to drugs. He frequently sees prostitutes. He's just uh, he's uh, he's very brash and in your face. He's also racist and he's kind of open with his racism with uh, Don Cheadle, who plays an FBI agent who's come to this small Irish town to investigate a drug-running ring uh, led by Mark Strong, by the way. That's always a plus. Mm. (laughs) And yeah, it's just... It's this really dark, irreverent comedy about the two of them working together to try and bust this drug-smuggling ring. And uh, it's very... Yeah, like I said, he's he's very in-your-face with the way he handles the racism of his characters and the kind of problematic behavior. Uh, If you've seen... uh, if you've seen in Bruges or three billboards, he's not, I, I haven't seen his uh, second movie Calvary. I've only seen this one and his most recent movie war on everyone, which that's another one that I would recommend with some hesitance. Uh, that one's got Alexander Skarsgård and Michael Penyon. They play these very brash, obnoxious racist cops. And uh, that, that one, that one's even tougher to recommend. So I'm going to stop talking about it right okay. now. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you've seen his brother's movies, you're very familiar with his uh, sense of humor. Uh, the Guard isn't quite as dark as his movies, but it can get pretty dark at times. Uh, all in all, it was just a pleasant little surprise. If you're looking for a little offbeat comedy, I would recommend it.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, I feel like this director has flown totally to my radar for years now, John Michael McDonough. Um yeah, I only
0: I'm only really familiar with him because uh I have a couple of friends who are huge fans of his. Like Calvary is one of my roommates' favorite movies. I need to see that one already. But yeah, he's he's a he's a very funny guy. Or at least his movies are funny. I've looked up pictures of him and I don't think I've ever seen him smile
1: once. So I'm not sure if <laughs> he himself is funny, but yeah, the really movies he makes, tough. Are very I'll funny. say that. Uh, he t- <laughs> and uh it's funny cuz War and Everyone sounds like an interesting premise, but yeah i don't know it sounds like it might be uh (laughs) might be a rough watch possibly It is. it
0: yeah the humor in that movie is even more brash and in your face uh i mean at a certain point you have with that one. i was asking myself does he just flat out support what these characters are doing oh that's always tough yeah it's like which i don't think he does i just think he's interested in exploring very flawed characters and very flawed worlds and uh just making jokes about it. But I mean, the performances alone are a le- worth are a reason to watch that, especially Michael
1: Pena. Michael Pena is a goddamn gift. <laughs> <laughs> I do love him and like everything he pops up in. He's great. Um, oh yeah.
0: He's even great in Tom and Jerry.
1: <laughs> that I guy st- cannot be bad. So. I still have not watched Tom and Jerry.
0: <laughs> I, well, I had nothing to do. I actually kind of enjoyed it, but I'm not going to waste people's time talking about Tom and
1: Jerry. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, I was like, Tempted because the HBO Max stuff, and I'm like, "Ooh, it's a a it's almost like that. It's a big movie that was supposed to be in theaters, but it's right here on my HBO Max at home. Should I watch it?" And I I still didn't watch it. <laughs> you know, I was oh, tempted. I, I haven't. I didn't watch Judas and the Black Messiah, but I did watch
0: Tom and Jerry. So <laughs> do what you will with that information. I'm a <laughs> terrible movie fan.
1: Oh no, no, it's fine. Judas Black Messiah is really really good, but it's very heavy, as you could probably imagine. Like uh. I felt really bad because it was like my sister was hanging out and we were going to watch a movie and I, we both were in that movie. So I put it on and she was already having a bad day. And then when it was over, oh, she was no. like, I shouldn't have watched that. Like, she's like, just, just really upset and was like, I'm going home. Like, it was just like, I, this is, I'm really bummed out now. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. We should watch something fun. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's heavy stuff, but it's really, really good. But, um, but yeah, anything else or that was all they had to talk about. Yeah, that's all I'll talk about. Okay. I,
0: uh, I'm, 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 I'm curious to hear what you've seen. And then I'm really curious to talk about the departed. <laughs> the departed. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know why people keep calling it the departed. Like they say it numerous times in the
1: movie. It's the departed. <laughs> drop yours. Uh, they. So, <laughs> I don't think the letter R exists in Boston. I think they. Uh, I think Mark Wahlberg makes that joke at one point about like you. Uh, about DiCaprio, where like he come, he was going back and forth each weekend, and it was like he would drop his R's when he come back into like the. <laughs> The rough part of town. He's like, I bet you drop yours, don't you? Uh, but yeah, a lot of, of bad Boston people, accents people on this one, by the way.
0: <laughs> very funny. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Get um get ready, and we're not going to apologize for it because uh, <laughs> the they're very
1: fun time. to do. But it's they very fun. funny.
0: Of all people, Mark Wahlberg talking about dropping your R's when at least uh, <laughs>
1: when he's in uh, movies set in Boston, he's got the uh, thickest Boston accent out of everyone. Oh yeah, I'm jumping ahead, but I had this is a funny piece of trivia I saw that that you know. I think Scorsese said that Mark Wahlberg slipped very easily back in the Boston accent, as you could probably imagine. But he said his his Boston accent is so thick that they, he thought they, he was joking they would need subtitles for it. <laughs> it's like, Mark, I, we might need a subtitle to you. This, this accent is on thick. Um, but we'll come I back to that. We'll come back to that.
0: <laughs> Martin Scorsese is the only person who could say that to Mark Wahlberg and not get beat up, I would imagine. <laughs> probably.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, he... Uh, yeah, we'll talk we'll talk about him more. But I, like, yeah. I got some really quick things. I it's I had to really dig down in my letterbox because uh basically everything I watched recently has been for a podcast. Um or it just wasn't worth talking about, honestly. Or I just <laughs> but um I'm
0: so. interested in hearing you talk about the
1: ones that aren't worth talking about,
0: man. Well, I am gonna bring everything up one that's worth talking about.
1: I'm gonna bring up one that's probably not worth talking about, but I'm gonna bring it up anyway because it's fucking insane. I don't it's like, it's a movie that I'll get there. Anyway, uh so a couple new ish things, not brand new, but yeah. You know, um I finally watched Bad Trip on Netflix with Eric Andre. Have you seen this yet? I have, yes. Uh I thought it was really funny. I think I actually liked it more the more I thought about it. Like, you know, I watched it and thought, "That was funny." And then I think days went by and I was like, "No, that was actually really funny." What am I d-? like I was thinking of things that happened and like laughing about them to myself. <laughs> like um <laughs> Because I have a I have a problem with these, like, movies where I don't – so Bad Trip is, like, Eric Andre and Little Rae Howery, and they're going on, like, a road trip because he's uh, in love with this woman that he knew from high school, I think. And he's going to go after her in New York. I think they're – they start in Florida? <laughs> I've already forgotten. But they have to go up the East Coast, basically. And uh, and they take Little Rae Howery's sister's car, played by um, – Help me out, Mark. Tiffany Haddish. Tiffany Haddish. Thank you. And she plays like kind of a uh, she's just got a prison. So she's like playing like a really scary criminal who's like basically was going to murder them if she gets finds her car that they've taken. And uh, so they're kind of on the run from her. And but it's a weird thing because it's a prank movie that's got the structure. It's got story structure. So it's like they take these breaks to forward the story. But then they do these pranks with real people. So kind of like Bad Grandpa, I think, was like this. And some other ones I can't think of, which I don't really like, because I always like don't stop for the story. I don't care. Just show me the pranks. But I guess you need some kind of structure. but the the pranks are great, I thought. they the, the people's reactions in this movie are fantastic. <laughs> like it's, oh my God, I don't know. What did you um anything in particular that you you wanted to call out from that movie that you that made you laugh really hard? Or <laughs> I, I mean, I liked it. I didn't love it as much as I'd
0: hoped I would because I love eric andre's uh, adult swim show i think it is hilarious and just the absurdity of the pranks he pulls on his guests and i enjoyed the movie i enjoyed it more when it was over because during the end credits and i feel like more prank movies should do this but uh certain ones like borat are only interested in making fun of the people who are involved in the pranks but with this one, during the end credits, they actually show the people who were involved in the pranks laughing when they yes. find out that they were part of a, a movie. And that kind of warmed my heart because, I will say this, I won't give it away, but there is a prank involving a quote-unquote gorilla. Oh, uh-huh. And when I saw that, at first I was laughing my ass off, but then I thought, <laughs> the poor people that had to watch this and... Like, I can see someone being traumatized by that. And I'm like, I'm not <laughs> sure it's worth making your stupid movie to traumatize people over something like that. And that might just be me. A lot of people, oh. I'm sure, have seen Bad Trip, and you might think I'm just being a uh, wimp, which I'll admit I am. I'm not the... Uh, well, I'm, I don't have the... What's the word I'm looking for? I don't have the sense of humor that I did when I was a kid where I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'll laugh at any stupid shit. <laughs> but once the credits rolled and they showed people specifically during that gag just laughing when they found out what was happening, I was just like, "Okay, this is all in good fun. I enjoyed this."
1: I I, I was laughing because I was thinking of the the gorilla thing, and I I think I just kept laughing the longer it went on because it got more and more ridiculous. And, uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> <it's> so ridiculous, <laughs> like no, I was losing go, it. He was...
0: goes back into the gorilla pen. And I think at that point I was just like, okay, I can't not laugh. Oh yeah. <laughs> when he goes
1: back. <laughs> oh my God. It's uh there's some, uh, Tiffany Haddish, I feel like when she walks into uh she walks into a store, I think it's pretty early on, and there's these two women there, and I feel like she scares the shit out of <laughs> like she's pretty great in this. There's a part where she like is pretending to escape from like a prison bus, I think, and a wants a guy to help her like scare the like get the cops away from her. And he kind of goes <laughs> along with it. Like,
0: it's pretty... I'm a little disappointed because uh, I remember in the trailer, her escape was just her literally digging her way up through the ground right oh. outside of the prison walls as there were a couple of onlookers. <laughs> and I'm like, the, the way it happens in the movie is funny, but that is so much funnier. I kind of wish that was in the movie. <laughs> I'm I feel sure they she... had a lot
1: of stuff that they left on the cutting room floor, honestly,
0: <laughs> probably. No, oh. Tiffany Haddish was hilarious whenever she would walk in. And they would just start playing the most hardcore music <laughs> just to like to highlight her like her presence. I mm-hmm. would just die laughing.
1: God. And then there's a part I think where she like literally steals a police car that they've clearly <laughs> set up because she rips the door off the car. <laughs> and people are just like, the reactions are priceless for people and uh and takes off with it. I mean it's it's fun. It's and it's really short. It's like an hour and twenty minutes, like um yeah, so it's, you know, it's fun. I uh do you remember that movie was supposed to come out like last year, like right when COVID started and it was on demand for like one weekend and they pulled it off. I do remember that. It was very I bizarre. Was, it was like I wanted to watch it. It was gone. I couldn't get it anywhere. <laughs> I don't think it
0: was. I, I don't remember if like it got pulled because it wasn't supposed to be on demand or if they were just doing like a special limited
1: screening of it screening very like, limited if it was because it was literally like i think a day or a weekend there was no more. it was no longer than a weekend which is a yeah. bizarre strategy but um no i found out bathroom. about yeah, yeah i found out about that and i was really upset because i really wanted
0: to see that but then yeah got dropped on netflix uh was able to just throw it on one morning
1: and yeah it's a fun movie okay yeah yeah so i that one was fun i want to bring that up um i i I, I, well, I'm curious if you've seen this one, cause I had a lot of fun with it and I think it's very divisive. People think it's really stupid or think it's really fun. Um, I'm on the fun camp. Uh, I watched monster Hunter, with Paul, Paul W. Sanderson's Monster Hunter with, with Mila Jovovich. <laughs>
0: yeah, I haven't seen that one, but, uh, as probably one of the number one fans of the resident evil film franchise, <laughs> I know I'm going to love that movie.
1: <laughs> um, I think you would really like it. It's fun. I, uh, I was surprised at, like, how good it looked, honestly, because I had, listen, I had a lot of problems with Resident Evil, the final chapter, when I saw that in a theater, and because I've been a fan of the franchise, like, up to that point, I thought that movie was, like, almost unwatchable with how much he was cutting it was like, I was like, oh, my God, stop cutting every second or two. And in Monster Hunter, I'm like, Paul Davis Anderson must have really chilled out or something because it's, he's, I'm like, it's much more, it takes its time. It's beautiful shots. Like, he's, like, really, like, let you take in the environment. It's like, this, I mean, it's a desert, but it looks just like, it just looks good. I feel like it's a really good-looking movie. And, like, people complained about the monsters in Godzilla recently and, like, how everything's so dark when they fight and it's raining. Like, well, he's giving you monsters, basically, in, like, broad bright you know daylight in monster hunter and they look pretty good i mean it's like uh it's pretty fun i mean you've got tony ja i got mila joevich who i want to see team up in more things now i want like a buddy cop maybe with them after this <laughs> like um <laughs> it's fun it's like exactly what i expect it to be it's just a big fun monster movie and um yeah, I just I, I had a good time with it. I know some people were really the letterbox average like two two 2.5 or something, which is like they see the they see the director and they think, oh, well, I'm already going to rate this movie. I don't have to watch it. That's what it seems like. Yeah, like I'm mostly a Paul W. Sanderson defender, honestly. Like if I look at his <laughs> filmography, I'm like, I like way more of these movies than I than I don't. You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, he's um, a fun director.
0: His movies are very fun. There's only a couple that I'm. Not that fond of. I recently watched uh, Mortal Kombat for the first time, and that was a very fun movie, too. Wow, you hadn't seen that before? No, uh, somehow. I don't think I was, for some reason, I wasn't allowed to watch it when I was a kid, I think, because my mom was familiar with the games. She was like, (laughs) I'm not going to let him watch that violent shit. (laughs) But yeah, I finally saw it, and I didn't like it quite as much as I would have when I was younger, but that was a fun movie.
1: Yeah, it's it's very fun. I, uh, I I've thought it's held up through all these years. Like since I saw when I was a kid, it was like eight. I was or I was like eight when it came out, and that was like the perfect age, I think. Plus, it was P D thirteen, so I could actually go see it. Yeah, they they took me to see it. I, my mom saw it in the theater with me, and uh, didn't know what the hell was going on, but she took me to see. it. And then like we, my mom. I, I love the story. My mom took me to see Mortal Kombat: Annihilation in the theater, Uh-oh. and that was like the first time that I remember. Um, thinking to myself oh this movie is really bad <laughs> like and my mom was asleep next to me like she slept the entire movie and i thought i'm jealous i heard that she's she's asleep right now because i'm like watching this movie because before that because i was like 10 so before that every movie especially in a theater was like an amazing experience you know it's like i'm in a movie theater i'm eating popcorn and uh yeah mortal common Kombat, uh, Kombat, yeah mortal actually kind of broke me i think i was like oh movies can suck okay <laughs> Uh, see, I actually I recently
0: watched Mortal Kombat: Annihilation for the first time, and yeah, I thought it was awful. But the whole time I was thinking, <laughs> see, if I had seen this when I was younger, I think I was came out in 1998, so I would have been eight. I would have loved it because I didn't care about how good or bad visual effects were back then. All I cared about was is this is this a fun movie? And I think I absolutely would have loved that one as a kid. I don't even remember the first time I ever watched a movie and thought, this is bad. But I know <laughs> I'm almost certain Mortal Kombat Annihilation would not have been it.
1: I don't know, Mark. I was 10. It didn't go well. <laughs> like, maybe the gap between like 8, 9, 10. I don't know. But like, I it's such a, it's such a strong memory in my mind of like watching the movie, thinking it. I don't. Thinking it was bad for sure, but I like was like, oh, this is not good, especially compared to the first one, because they they right off the bat in the second one like don't even follow up on, you know, they, they well they follow up on the first one but not well, you know what I mean? It's like they have that that ending in the first Mortal Kombat that's like a cliffhanger and they pick it up and I hate how they started it off. I'm like, oh no, what like and then it it was downhill from there and uh, I just remember thinking it was bad and looking at my mom just sleeping away and just being like. Oh, I couldn't even ask. I wanted to ask her to leave, I think. (laughs) I'll bet you were were wondering yourself, wait, what happened to Raiden's accent? Yeah, well, I think what happened to Raiden, because he was a whole different person. (laughs) (laughs) What happened to Sonya Blade was different. Like, that was the first time I remember also being really like, uh, noticing recasting because there's a lot of recasting. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, these aren't the same people. And, like, you know, it was just... It, it was rough. It was Actually, a rough experience.
0: Oh, my God. Before we forget about this will be the perfect time to bring this up. Do you know the story behind that what, part of... or why it supposedly looks as bad as it does? Yeah, I just heard about this. So, um, yeah, Brad Henderson... Yes, from that's who it was. Syndrome ...shared this on uh, Twitter. And basically... They had a test screening with the uh, unfinished effects, and <laughs> wow. the movie. Basically, they had a test screening for the movie as it is, which was unfinished. And because it tested so positively,
1: they were just like, "You know what? People love this. Let's just put it out as is." <laughs> yeah, that was... and it makes perfect sense. I'm like, this feels unfinished, and now I know. I mean, if that story is true, which she seemed pretty confident about, uh, yeah, that would there's make a possibility perfect sense. it couldn't be, but yeah, that would make perfect sense to me. <laughs> um so yeah so yeah well i'm glad you liked the first mortal kombat that's a good test if like someone who's just seen it now if it still holds up so if you liked it that's good so well, i don't um, use my opinions as any sort of barometer <laughs> i'm not to really be trusted listen mark i respect your opinions i don't always agree with them but i respect them so. <laughs> and i appreciate that and
0: i'm looking forward to monster hunter
1: i'm uh probably rent that one soon actually yes check that out um, OK, last thing I'll mention. It's ridiculous. Um, it's a movie that I have not seen in a long time. Uh, it is a notoriously like bad movie, uh, a movie so bad the director never directed a movie again. Uh, <laughs> it's from 2003. Mark, have you seen Tiptoes with Matthew McConaughey and Gary Oldman? Oh, my God. No, but I am oh familiar with it oh okay oh, i was oh, i want i was i was so excited to tell you about tiptoes i'm sorry <laughs> so, matt that's okay that's okay i'll tell everyone else about tiptoes so i had a we had a, a friend over like a few weeks ago and we didn't know what to watch we put on i think he had not seen it and some we were going through prime and it's on prime and i was like oh man you've got to watch tiptoes this movie's just insane it's batshit insane <laughs> like so hi pit- t- this is gonna sound crazy me even telling people the the Plot. So <laughs> Tiptoes <laughs> is about two brothers, Matthew McConaughey and Gary, yeah, Matthew McConaughey and Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman plays a little person. Uh so basically they they filmed this movie with Gary Oldman walking around on his knees, and I think they just shot around it or like CGI'd out his legs. And so that's ridiculous. Gary Oldman's just always looking for the next great acting challenge. <laughs> he found it uh in Tiptoes. He's friends with Peter Dinklage, he shows up. Peter Dinklage is dating Patricia Arquette. Uh, Matthew McConaughey is engaged to Kate Beckinsale. He has never told her (laughs) that his family, his whole, Matthew McConaughey's whole family is made up of little people. Um, He's the only one who's a normal-sized person, and he's, like, ashamed of it, I think, a bit. And he's uh, very nervous Cause at one point they are going to have a kid. That's pretty, that's not that's pretty early on. And he's very nervous that the, the person, the kid will be a little person. He just can't have that. He's like, he acts like it's the worst thing in the world. And it's insane. And then Kate Beckinsale acts like she's never even heard of like little people before. Like it's like a foreign <laughs> concept to her. She's asking questions like, wait, what? How do you do this and that? And I'm like, where have you been? Like, it's like, "What are you?" so it's an insane movie. It's like a, comedy drama that plays everything so straight, but it's so ridiculous. And it's like, I feel like the only person who kind of like comes out of it is as it, you know, good or knows what they're doing is Peter Dinklage. Like it's, it's crazy. It's a crazy movie. Like, um, how do you and, think Peter
0: Dinklage? So I, yeah, you said Peter Dinklage is, uh, dating Patricia Arquette. Is
1: she playing a little person or is she playing? No, uh, she's playing just a normal sized woman. Uh, I hope me saying normal sized person is not like a yeah. That I, I I
0: felt I didn't want to say that. I felt uncomfortable. I feel like there's no way to describe. It. We're gonna we're gonna land in hot water. Matt, I don't know the answer. verbiage.
1: I know I know to say little person. I think and not you know let's not say midget or anything. So I knew that's not, I think that's in the movie too. at one point. Kate Beckinsale's like, oh, he's a midget, and Matthew McConaughey's like, no, it's a dirty word. Don't say midget. <laughs> I just
0: want to know how Peter Dinklage felt like acting around Gary Oldman on He's his like, knees. He's like, I'm genuinely Jeez. a little person, Gary. Just like, Gary, <laughs> what the fuck you
1: doing? Yeah, I think Gary Oldman thought he was in the role of a lifetime. I think it's funny because in the trailer, I'm pretty sure they do that cliche line of like, and Gary Oldman in the role of a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Just is so bananas. Like, it's so crazy that all these people signed up for this movie. And I think they thought it was going to be like, Oscar bait type movie. Well, Um, I think
0: it had a... uh, What did the director make before that? Because I vividly remember looking up his filmography and he had a... uh, There were like a couple movies that I thought, oh, wow, he actually made something good, but I can't
1: remember specifically. It's it's Matthew Bright who made... How do I I remember that name and I don't know how. He directed Freeway, Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby, which is one of the best titles ever. Uh, He directed a Ted Bundy movie. And, Is that the
0: one with uh, Jeremy Renner?
1: Oh, wait, no, he played Jeremy Dahmer. Jeffrey, uh, Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, no, I don't oh. know. And then he wrote, Matthew Bright wrote something, I think, that was like, like going back into some need to be here. Um, the Forbidden Zone, which I think I've heard was like a cult movie. You remember I think I've Gun heard Christ? that one. So he literally directed four movies. Tiptoes was the last one. The poor this was never his done.
0: passion project. This is what every movie he made before. On the set of Freeway, he's talking to for Sutherland and Reese Witherspoon, like, I'm writing the one right now that they're going to remember me for.
1: <laughs> I got a story to tell. I just don't I don't understand <laughs> what, like, what, this movie still fascinates me. Like, of all, like, the bad movies I've seen, I feel like the Tiptoe's the one I can't crack about, like, why does it exist? And why was everybody on board for it? Like, <laughs> Oh, I think i I might have read something where Gary Oldman or somebody said that the movie was very different when they signed on for it. I think it may have been taken away from the director by the producers and fucked with maybe I may be making it up, but if you haven't seen Tiptoes, it is entertaining because you'll be the whole time you'll be like, "Wait, what's happening now? <laughs> like it's just it's wild. it's wild stuff. Um but that's all I had along with tiptoes, <laughs> and we could start talking about the departed finally. <laughs> people are like i'm not here for gary oldman movie (laughs) (laughs) this weird gary oldman movie um okay so the departed comes out in 2006 uh mark i will ask you did you see it right when it came out in 2006 uh and what were your initial thoughts on the (laughs) departed
0: oh you better believe i did matt as i mentioned in uh our last podcast and at the beginning of this episode 2006 is Maybe the most important year of my, uh, movie year of my life because I saw everything, and I saw I ended up seeing The Departed on opening weekend. Uh, I ended up seeing it four times in theaters actually, which is the wow. second mo- second highest number of times I've ever seen a movie in a theater. It's uh, first would be Titanic, which I don't know how many times I saw that in theaters. I usually say seven or eight. It was probably more along the lines of like six. And then Grindhouse and The Departed. I saw both of those four times, so those are tied for number two. Oh wow! <laughs> and then I've seen countless movies three times in theaters instead of Poseid- including Poseidon, <laughs> which was also in two thousand six. Wow! And we're not here to talk about Poseidon, so I don't know why I brought it up. That's a big year for you though, two thousand six. Wow, that's like... I loved. I loved two thousand six. Even though I I didn't go on any dates, but I saw so many movies. <laughs> But yeah, um, I th- yeah, yeah, I was there opening weekend for The Departed. Uh, I remember everything, including when the big twist that we won't get
1: to yet, but we'll get to at some point. Oh, All Pat- right, we'll talk spoiler free up front. If I, 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 th- I think most people have seen The Departed, but you know, yeah, we'll just you know, yeah. if you haven't seen The Departed, why are you listening to this? Yeah, don't watch the go watch Depart- watch
0: The Departed. <laughs> it's currently streaming on both Netflix and HBO Max, so yeah, yeah. you have no excuse uh but yeah when the big twist happened a couple people in the theater laughed oh and i think i don't think they were laughing like because it was a stupid twist i think they were just
1: genuinely shocked
0: at what happened
1: Mm, mm -hmm. yeah because it is a shocking moment it's very shocking even this time we're watching it for the I don't know what time I was still. It, it's the moment. It's the way it shot is shocking. So it's like it's so casual.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like there's nothing showy. It's just the uh, cameras. Just it pretty much holds on this one shot for yeah. like I don't know how many seconds, and then it just cuts away and it's casual, and then it happens. I think Scorsese
1: might know what he's doing. This guy. He. Might, it's like... Whoa, whoa, whoa! Don't talk. You think he's like Todd Phillips or something? <laughs> oh god oh
0: no <laughs> I, i'm sorry look i love todd phillips i like his comedies and i am actually a joker defender oh, but okay. <laughs> i recently i recently watched war dogs for the first time and man if you think joker is him trying to be scorsese that's him trying to be like one particular square Scor- or two particular scorsese films uh taxi driver and king of comedy right right <laughs> war dogs him trying to do his entire modern day aesthetic the good fellas like constant oh, cutting between characters montages and just like, throwing cutting yeah <laughs> yeah several songs in the soundtrack <laughs> uh instead of Jimmy shelter he likes to use uh wolf mother it's Interesting. interesting okay i do like I do like todd phillips though i give him a hard time okay. but i do enjoy his movies and i kind of feel bad that i do
1: but <laughs> enough talk about todd phillips matt please stop letting me get off topic I, listen it's my problem too i can't i do it too so it's fine um that was that was related that's fine so oh clearly you really like the departed because you saw it three times in a weekend so
0: no, like... i didn't see it three times in the weekend i saw it four times over the span of like a few months i think i saw it Three times within the month of October, and then it was oh, re released okay. around the time uh, either it won the Oscar it was nominated. Oh, yeah. And then I went back
1: yeah. to see it a uh, fourth time. Okay. Sorry. I thought you said you saw it three times one weekend. Three times in the theater, four times in the theater. But yeah. Um, somehow I missed this one in the theater. Really? <laughs> like, I was, ha- listen, I was not for some reason seeing a lot of stuff around this time because I'm still, I kick myself because I missed seeing Grindhouse in a theater. Um, because I will never forget this, that I was out of town, like, on vacation, probably, I think I was at Disney or something, and Grindhouse came out that weekend, and it did so badly that I'm pretty sure by the time I got back, it wasn't even playing anymore. So it was, I missed, like, the first weekend, the second weekend, I think they pulled it, I didn't get to go see it, and I don't know why I didn't go see The Departed. I don't know what, like, I was, in this time period, there was a lot going on, but it was, like, I just wasn't seeing, like, as much stuff in the theater. Um, So... Yeah, that's I, I'm mad at *The Departed* too because there's a lot of stuff I would love to see an audience react to in *The Departed*. Honestly, so
0: um, the, well, it's not the react. I can tell you as someone who <laughs> saw it opening weekend, these are not the reactions you are expecting. Okay. Like, <laughs> let's say there was uh, during a lot of big moments. I, I vividly remember laughter during specific moments of the movie that we will uh, get to. Okay. <laughs> I remember I actually I sat separately from my parents. I don't know, maybe because it was an R-rated movie and I didn't want my mom to be like, cover your eyes, Mark, or maybe there was just no room next to them. But I remember hearing my dad a few rows back
1: laughing at certain things. Like, Why are you laughing at that, Dad? <laughs> I, to be fair, there's a lot of funny stuff in this movie. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what they were laughing, if they were laughing unintentional funny parts or just funny parts, but...
0: <laughs> you know, this isn't a spoiler, but I remember someone in the theater or a couple people laughed at a when Leo stormed out, or Billy, I'm going to try, I'm, I'm trying to get in the habit of referring to people by their character names and not by their actor names. Oh, okay, I'm uh, terrible at that. So I'm, going to, <laughs> I'm going to attempt to do that. When uh, Leo, shit! All right, <laughs> screw it. When Billy storms out of Madeline's office and just calls her a fucking hot shot as he's doing it. I remember a couple people in the theater laughing at that. I'm like, a oh, weird thing to laugh at. and I already said they laughed during the big twist Um, yeah those are very specific reactions that I remember
1: Mm, Okay, maybe
0: I don't want to see with an audience Uh, I uh, mean I'm sure anyone the good see, here's the good thing about this because it's like now one of the most popular movies of all time uh, academy award winner I'm sure uh, theaters will someday like now a lot more theaters are showing older movies like they'll Mm -hmm. usually show one a week and I'm sure The Departed will at some point be playing at a theater in the as like their uh, classic of the week, uh, whatever Cinemark calls that program. And oh, yeah. you'll have a chance to see it in a the theater, and that audience will probably be a lot more respectful. Because it'll probably be mostly old people, because uh, young people will be too busy watching know, Falcon Winter
1: Soldier Season 5 or something. Um, <laughs> Those young people with their... Uh their Game Boys and their how, Wi-Fi. <laughs> I think
0: I'm kind of scared by how much I relate to the Irishman because it just means that I'm
1: growing more and more distant from my from the younger generation. Oh, God. Uh, I, I I don't have to worry about that too much because I feel like it's funny because I feel like people like the now it's like millennials are getting picked on by like Gen Z. But I'm like, guys, I was never cool. This is I'm not it's like this I'm not. feel I don't feel like I'm losing my coolness as I get older. I'm like. Listen, I was never that cool. So it doesn't bother me at all. So i like, <laughs> I've been acting like a dad since I was like 16 years old. So I'm just like, whatever, it's fine. Like, um, doesn't bother me that much. But yeah, I feel like I'm kind of like you where I'm just like, I- I've never been in touch with the, the, I feel like the current cool things anyway. So it's fine. But, um, but yeah, me neither. There, yeah, I perfect. only
0: recently <laughs> discovered CS. So,
1: <laughs> oh man, well, um, it's funny because we had very different experiences because I didn't get to see this till I guess it would have been on TV or I rented the DVD from, you know, video store, Redbox, whatever. And uh, I love this movie. I loved it since I first saw it. It was like an HBO mainstay, like a year or two after it came out, like it was on all the time. <laughs> and like it's one of those It became one of those movies that if it was on TV, um, I was probably going to watch at least a scene or two, if not the whole thing. Um, and I watched it so much, like from like probably 07 to 08 when it was on TV. And I feel like I saw it like 20, 30 times, honestly, when it was on at that point. So I kind of didn't really get sick of it, but I had my fill of it for a very long time. And, um, and then kind of, you know, I've revisited kind of sporadically, but uh, I had to watch it in a long time since I watched it for this. And uh, still, still fantastic. Still great. Uh, For, for a movie that's like, is it two and a half hours long? It's like, it flies by. It's one of the, It feels like one of the fastest two and a half hour movies I've ever seen in my life.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Scorsese knows what he's doing. You already said that. I'm (laughs) I'm just reiterating. But his, uh, I mean, yeah, he's made some of the most entertaining long movies ever made. Like, I'm already in the middle of watching. uh, I mean, obviously not right now, but before we started recording, I was actually in the middle of watching The Irishman for I think I'm at the fourth viewing of that. And the fact that I can watch a four-hour movie as much as I'm watching that and not get bored and it just flies by, like, that's it. Not any director can do that. You need someone who is just completely learned and confident in their craft. And I don't think you get anyone more
1: confident in their craft than Scorsese. Hot take. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like we're gonna praise uh, him a lot on this, and uh, I mean he deserves it. Well, that's
0: okay because remember when uh, Endgame came out and he said uh, something about superhero movies, and then Twitter all of a sudden pretended like they didn't like him that much anymore.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was a weird time because I, I like, (laughs) I like the Marvel movies. I love Martin Scorsese. I was like in the weird like middle. I'm like he's totally entitled to his opinion. These aren't for everybody so um then i was like and they were trying to bag on him i'm like no he's an amazing director like just leave him yeah, alone people like, let him <laughs>
0: like... he's entitled to his opinion just as all of you are entitled to your opinions there is no point to just uh air your grievances about why he disagrees with you it's not a personal insult the marvel movies that you love still exist you can watch them and treat them as cinema he's his opinion is not
1: going to change anything so i don't know why you people are going so crazy about it <laughs> i didn't know either but um is it is it also crazy it might be jumping a little it crazy that this was the first time he fin- he finally won a best uh a uh, best directing oscar i couldn't i like I, I know i knew that but i still couldn't believe it i'm like how the hell does he go on for that long not winning best director at the oscars it makes no sense <laughs> So
0: you go back and you look at all the movies that beat him over the years. I'm sure a lot of them will be movies where you're like, why did we love that movie? (laughs) Or not even that, because I've become less critical about of movies like that over the years. Like, cause as I get older, I care less and less about the Oscars. I just love the movies that I love. But yeah, I think it was dances with wolves that beat Goodfellas, And so I guess Kevin Costner would have beat him that year. And you're Mm -hmm. like, I haven't seen <laughs> Dances with Wolves, but I'm I'm going to assume that the De- or, sorry, goodfellas is a lot better than that. Uh, Ro- I think John G. Avildsen would have beat him in 76 with Rocky uh, beating Taxi Driver. Right. Rocky. It, Rocky's a great fucking movie. But right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> not quite on Taxi Driver's level. Pretty sure uh, in 1980 he lost to Ordinary People when he had Raging Bull yes i think you're right there and i recently i've seen people i for years the i feel like the 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 talk was like oh ordinary people's not that good at all and it was it, it was really bold a couple other things that people thought should have won but now i've seen it swing the other way people were like no guys ordinary people's really good i don't know i've never seen it but <laughs> it's like you know i it's it, it always swings one way or the other but anyway and then i can't remember what else he would have been nominated for off my head but uh probably casino oh uh the aviator
0: i think he lost to clint eastwood for a million dollar baby which that one i won't get as upset about i think both of those are great movies but yeah
1: that's that's fair that's fair i it's recently
0: like... rewatched million dollar baby and that movie broke my
1: heart so i'm gonna say yeah probably wouldn't have gotten it for the aviator yeah yeah that's that's fair like it's like so far I'm like okay that and I you know it's funny I can't even say anything I would like to defend Goodfellas even more but I've never even seen Dance with Wolves so I don't want to shit on Dancing with Wolves if I've never even seen it but uh, it's hard for me to imagine that it's better than Goodfellas honestly like yeah same here I haven't seen uh, Dances with Wolves but which
0: I already said I don't know why I'm saying it again <laughs> but Goodfellas is just an all timer like that is uh that is the That is the Godzilla of movies. And. Dances with Wolves is probably like the Muto from Godzilla 2014. Like it's something you forget about almost as soon as it's defeated. That's a weird metaphor.
1: (laughs) Hey, I I went with you on it. It's fine. Uh, It's topical. Godzilla vs. Kong
0: came out and I'm trying to tie Martin Scorsese into a a (laughs) recent
1: smash hit of a movie. There you go. It's topical. Um, So. Uh, Yeah, no, this is, it's a great movie. I don't even know, like, what, it's like, where do we go from here? So, uh, I will say, yeah, this time, when I was re-watching it, I mean, I'm just this cast, I'm appreciating this cast even more. Um, And the funny thing was, especially when this came out, 2006, and I, I saw it probably a year after, and I had not seen Leonardo DiCaprio in anything from Titanic until Departed. So, to me, it was like a quantum leap forward in his acting, where I'm like, holy shit, where did this Leonardo DiCaprio come from? Because I hadn't seen Blood Diamond. I hadn't seen The Aviator. Um, don't think, I think I might have seen The Beach, but I didn't like The Beach. So, um, and that was very <laughs> close to Titanic think, anyway. So. I don't think you're alone there. <laughs> so, to me, from from seeing the kid from Titanic to him and Departed, I'm like, this guy's amazing. Like, this is, you know, like, he's so good in this. I mean, he feels like he's about to have a mental breakdown almost every scene (laughs) like he's on the verge of losing his mind which is i mean he's playing at a pitch of like someone who is on the the verge of having a complete breakdown but he's yeah he's amazing in this i think
0: (laughs) yeah this has i i think i might have been um i've always loved leo like uh, titanic's the movie that got me into the movies and i do think he's great in that but yeah when you're Watching him in the part, it's just a whole another, a whole other level of acting. Just how deep he gets into this character, and how you can always tell when the pressure's on him. And I love him at the one of my favorite shots is the very first shot of him when he's in the, uh, he's getting ready to take his policeman's exam, and he's just this fresh-faced young cadet, and you really see just how he changes from that shot towards. Uh, the end when he's uh when they're collect when they're taking all the uh the social security numbers into the citizens envelope and he's mm-hmm. like oh, that's probably the most pressure he's ever under in the movie. well no i guess the most pressure would be at that uh dinner table scene with jack nicholson which we will definitely
1: talk about <laughs> oh yes yeah yeah um so i thought all this point hill people too i think we'll just, we'll get into spoilers that now the spoiler warning let's, is now yeah. as well <laughs> so um yeah, cast is great in like top to bottom. Do you have a favorite performance in the whole movie? I absolutely do. I think <laughs> all these performances are great, but
0: I think there's an argument to be made that Staff Sergeant Dignam is yeah. the greatest character <laughs>
1: in the history of movies. <laughs> the funny thing is, I, I, I agree with you. That was my pick, too, because I'm like my man. Jesus Christ! Okay, I got I got some problems with Mark Wahlberg and other things, and kind of in like I've heard some bad things of him as a person, especially when he was younger. But if I'm just looking at him in this movie, uh, in this role, like he steals every single scene he's in, and he he cracks me up with almost everything that he does because he's such an asshole. <laughs> but it's like he's it's like the best kind of asshole, and i like, it's amazing, like. Oh my god it's like he was born to play this role. I'm pretty sure
0: <laughs> he's such a great counterpoint to the loving fatherly Queenan, yeah, <laughs> like Queenan's this like this loving father figure to DiCaprio, and uh Dignum is just this like abrasive alpha older brother who's just always like emasculating
1: him, always giving him shit like and from that minute one he's just giving him shit for everything. <laughs> Like we joked about with the the accent thing when he's like, he's like, you lace coat motherfucker. (laughs) You (laughs) drop your, you drop your eyes, didn't you? It's like, it's like, oh my God. He's just like everything. He gives a shit about every single thing. It's a, it's man. Everything he's in. I can't, you can't, when he's in a scene, it's like hard to, and there's great actors in this movie. And then Mark Wahlberg's in every scene. He just steals the attention. (laughs) I think he was the only one that was nominated among the cast. Oh, I have to look that up. I don't know. Um, Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't think uh, Leo, Damon, or Nicholson were nominated. It was just, uh, yeah, it was just Wahlberg. And I remember that, because that was, that's just one of my favorite performances of all time. Like, Mark, you see, I love Mark Wahlberg. I kind of love his, like, the blue-collar nature of his uh, movie stardom, or like, that he brings to the characters he plays. And... I love him. Like Boogie Nights is one of probably my top 10 favorite movies. But uh, yeah, it's great. He's great. I'm now. sorry. Yeah, <laughs> he is like, even though he's great in that, this is just like one of the best performances ever. And I was <laughs> so disappointed when Alan Arkin beat him for Little Miss Sunshine, which yeah. is also a great performance. But like, I quote Dignam to this day. <laughs> Do you want to give me some of your favorite Dignam? Quotes? Oh, curious. yeah. Um. <laughs> Probably the best one is uh, is like the uh, when they're at the um, the stakeout, that guy or not the stakeout when they're at the microprocessor deal. <laughs> fucking that
1: microprocessor.
0: Guy's, <laughs> <laughs> that word. Amazing. <laughs> um, and that guy says, who the fuck are you? And he's like, oh, I'm yeah. the guy who does his job. You must be the other guy. <laughs> like
1: that has to be the absolute best dignum quote. I. Listen, I wish I could do the bit. I cannot remember. They're so fast. When him and Alec Baldwin are in that, like, briefing room near the beginning.
0: May I? May I? Yes, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Like, you will not ever know the identity of undercovers. Unfortunately, this shithole has more lives than the Iraqi Navy. Fuck yourself. I'm tired from fucking your wife. How's your mother? She's good. She's tired from
1: fucking my father. (laughs) That, yes, that exchange.
0: Can you tell that I've watched The Departed too many times, Matt?
1: (laughs) i thought i had to i'm i have a horrible memory i was uh actually just talking to uh our mutual friend hayden about how bad our memories are uh and, about, and uh because he was talking about watching a movie for for this show he's gonna be on and i was like he was like i'll have to watch it closer to the show because i'll forget everything and that's me too like i don't know it's like yeah my memory is shit my whole family has that problem and it's like but no and i've seen it so many times but yeah when you did that i was like i knew that but i'm like I couldn't pull up my top of my head, so I'm glad you could I'll tell it.
0: you my uh second favorite de- uh, Dignam uh dignum quote, which I just remembered because it's in that very scene, when he's uh talking about the guy who stole the microprocessors and he's like, he got a job with forged UMass transcript, UMass Boston, and the FBI agent, which quick bit of trivia, do you know who played the FBI agent in that movie? I don't remember. <laughs> a gentleman by the name of Robert Wahlberg. Oh, Okay. <laughs> and yes, that is uh Mark's uh probably least known brother because he doesn't have the uh doesn't have the horror career of Donnie or I guess the pop career. Anyway, I'm right, off yeah. topic. But he uh he pipes in and he's like, South Boston? And he's just like, Oh, you're a fucking genius. So who forged your transcript, dickhead? <laughs> oh Jeez, man. and then at the end of that scene, when he leaves, Baldwin's just like uh Normally, he's a very nice guy. Oh, yeah. And the entire office just bursts out laughing. That's another great touch. How everyone in the movie is just aware of Dignam and how he acts. Right.
1: And they're all they make it
0: and they make a joke about it. He's like, normally, he's a very nice guy.
1: Don't (laughs) judge him from this meeting alone. (laughs) They all know he's an asshole. Um, God, yeah, he's he's on a different level in this movie. Mark Wahlberg's so weird to me because I feel like he's so good in this. He's so good in Boogie Nights, then he's good in other stuff. But he can also, to me, to me, be absolutely terrible in things. It's like, it's like sometimes it's it's like so great or it's so bad. And, you know, I watched, I have to bring this movie up. I'm curious if you've seen this movie. It's, it's a movie that, again, like tiptoes, it baffles me at its badness because I can't, like, I can't. Have you seen Mile 22? I knew it. I knew that's the one <laughs> you were going to bring up. I'm fascinated by this movie. Like. I was telling I think my sister about this movie and she's like how many times have you watch this and I said like three or four and she said, I thought you hated it and I'm like I think I do but I can't stop watching it because it's like this it's like I don't know Mark Wahlberg's doing a thing where he's got like I think he's supposed to be playing autistic and it's such a mean spirited movie
0: he is uh, like
1: Dignam on crack in that
0: movie. He is just mean to everyone for no reason. Same. Like I have to rewatch this. People are very nice to him. He's still like, the "Fuck are you, talking about
1: dickhead." Yeah, he's aggressive to everyone at any moment, and it's just like, uh, it's insane. Like it's I, I need to rewatch it again because I <laughs> it's a movie I don't like, but because I just Hold go on. back. Uh huh. <laughs> I just want to say, I've got The Departed playing on mute on
0: my TV right now. And we've just got to another great Dignam moment. Do you remember when uh, Colin... I'm going to try and do the character name thing again. Colin's (laughs) trying to go into Queenan's office as Dignam's exiting. And Dignam blocks his way. So Colin tries to go around him. And Dignam just steps to the side to block him again. And it is such
1: an immature high school moment that cracks me (laughs) up. I just wanted to bring that's okay that he's like a he's like a high school bully that never stopped being a high school bully a little bit <laughs> exactly i do want to go back to mile 22 though because i do have a bit
0: of news for you uh uh-huh. i'm i don't like mile 22 but i do
1: consider myself a peterberg stan fair enough i don't even know what to make a peterberg because i thought i kind of knew what he was and i watched mile 22 and because i thought he was kind of like a like a little bit of, I thought he was more like hopeful than that,
0: but mile 22 is like, well, I think so the funny thing is that it's, movie he's trying to like pay tribute to these heroes in that movie, but it's just, he, it's an action movie. He's making like a dumb action movie. That ends with like this big twist where he's like, oh, no, he's saying something about the world. And (laughs) no, that is not at all the movie you were making this whole time, Peter Berg. You were making a dumb escapist action movie. What happened to that? Yeah. And the thing is, I actually, aside from Wahlberg's abrasiveness, I actually really liked. uh... Sorry, I'm sorry. My roommate's talking in the other room. I kind (laughs) of lost my train of thought. Um, but aside from his abrasiveness, I actually thought that was a pretty solid action movie until that ending
1: when I was just like, what the
0: fuck was I even watching here?
1: <laughs> but it's, it's kind of I don't know. I, I try to remember it's like I think the action stuff is kind of solid, but it's so much more. Ah, it's it's so much more like violent and nihilistic than I thought it would be. And I'm just every time I'm put off by it and everyone's so angry at each other. And I, this movie also has the audacity to actually include someone saying to Mark Wahlberg, say hi to your mother for me. He's like, what did you say to me? What did (laughs) you say to me? Say hi to your mother for me. And it's like, he's like, he's like, (laughs) isn't there something
0: in that movie Um, where Lauren Cohen is trying, like in a custody dispute with her ex-husband and she's using this like family app that's like editing her dialogue. And I'm like, Oh my it's god, I forgot about
1: here. that. Jesus like, Christ, that was that was <laughs> baffling. The stuff like Mark, Mark Wahlberg's like doing, like this thing where he's like, gotta he's snapping our band because yeah, he's like kind of doing autistic, but I feel like he's not committed to that bit. And it's like, I Ronda Rousey's in there and she's not good. And it's like, oh
0: yeah, world's greatest person, Ronda Rousey. <laughs>
1: Oof, that's
0: yeah. that's one of the like things I most remember is when Wahlberg was talking to the they have the, like, computer nerds who do all the hacking and oh, tracking yeah. <laughs> for them. And he was just really mean and abrasive to them. And they're just talking around to R- R- Ronda Rousey. And he's, they're like, why is he so mean to us? And he's just, he's just like, because he hates the... Uh, I forget what she calls them, but then she takes a beat and then she's just, like, fucking nerds. Yeah. <laughs> like, Peter, Bert, do you want us to like any of these oh. characters? The most likable guy is Iko Ukwe. Yes. Am I saying his name right? I don't even said it right, but I know spoiler, what
1: you're talking about
0: it. Spoiler alert, turns out to be not such a great guy.
1: Yeah. Also, I just pulled my letterboxer through Mile 22. So I knew I was forgetting stuff. I, I was saying the script is bad because this line is literally in Mile 22. Mark Wahlberg says to somebody, I'm going to fight the fuck out of these motherfuckers.
0: I, <laughs> oh, my God i'm shitting on we're shitting on this movie a lot so i just have to say i was gonna probably bring this up because i was at one point gonna talk about like the departed and just the long history of boston set movies which are usually (laughs) awesome one
1: of my favorites
0: have did you ever see patriots day
1: no i've heard very mixed things about patriots day i feel like i've seen people in letterboxd who like who i know it's who a I, very hate that movie uh, like with a passion so i yeah. can understand <laughs> some
0: of it because I know some people are from boston they feel like it's a very exploitative movie mm-hmm. and I can completely understand that viewpoint but it to me it and it's a very raw raw america fuck yeah kind of movie-huh <laughs> <laughs> but it's got this like oh, it's got this honest uh admiration for first responders like the cops who were at the scene, the paramedics, just everyone who responded on that day at the bo- at the Boston Marathon bombing and the people who uh, led the investigation, the cops and the FBI agents. And it's just got this admiration for them that I find very endearing and touching. And I don't want to say, like, it's, it's not an entertaining movie. Like, it's a very uh, grim movie, but it ends on a very hopeful note and uh, I just I want to get it's not for everyone, but I just I want to give all the love I can to Patriot's Day because the last time I watched that movie, I was just blown away by it. There's also an extended scene of tension where they um uh, the two bombers kidnap this guy and the scene goes on for like 20 or 30 minutes. It's an extended scene of tension and it's just driven by this propulsive Trent Reznor Atticus Ross score. No. And I mean, that, God, Peter Berg is such a good filmmaker. Say what you will about his politics or uh, some of the movies he's made, but I just think that guy's a born filmmaker. I also right. I'm also a staunch defender of uh, Deepwater Horizon. Yeah, we're way off topic. Yeah. <laughs> <I was> getting...
1: <laughs> all, all right, all right. No, no. I, 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 yeah, I know
0: you said Bird. we have kind of a limited amount of time here, and I don't want to use all of it talking about Peter Berg.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. Uh, back to the party. So, did you read that Jack Nicholson's part was almost played by Al Pacino? I did, and I'm happy that I... it was played by. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. What?
0: I mean, I'm sure it would have been great because with Martin Scorsese directing you, and right. especially if you're an actor as good as Al Pacino, it's going to be a great performance. It probably would have been a little different from Nicholson, but I yeah, I agree. I'm happy that Nicholson played it because Nicholson, I feel like Nicholson carries more weight than Al Pacino when he enters a room. And that's the kind of role yeah. you need for uh, Frank
1: Costello. Yeah, who's a real a uh, real evil bastard in this movie. Uh, he's like yeah. Did you, you read about
0: when... all oh, the, uh, did you read about all the, like, Nicholson's little improvisations? I know I sent you a little interview with Matt Damon <laughs> where he was talking about some of them, but there were just so many things I read about that he had improvised on this.
1: I, I had read, the thing you sent me was great, where it's like, I knew he must have improvised that. The scene where they, him and Ray Winstone shoot two people on, like, a beach, and then he's just like, she felt funny. Huh. It's like, like, such a great little real moment amongst you know these gangsters, but uh, yeah, no, I figured he must have been. He feel he kind of feels like he was kind of like freewheeling it. I feel like I I heard this. I hate this criticism when people say like Jack Nicholson is playing himself. I'm like he's a compelling character. Like he well he's compelling. So yeah, he's playing himself. I guess, but I'm like uh, you know I, I feel like he's doing a good job. There's parts where he literally looks like the devil. I think because Scorsese lights him in all like red. And he looks I think it's that cocaine scene. Yeah. At
0: the opera where it like cuts from him at the opera with his two dates to him in the bedroom just tossing the cocaine around and he's like a
1: giant bowl of cocaine that
0: he's just chucking around. Which was another (laughs) suggestion by Nicholson. He's like he gave Scorsese all these suggestions on how to make his character even more the embodiment of evil, which is uh, what Nicholson... It's part of why Nicholson wanted to play the role. He actually didn't accept it at first, but he had a meeting with uh, William Monaghan, the writer, and Scorsese and DiCaprio, and they talked him into it. And part of the reason was he had just uh, come off of comedies, and he wanted to uh, like play a completely different role. And he saw Frank Costello as the embodiment of evil. And all these suggestions he gave to Scorsese were supposed to build on that. And one of them was... The scene of him with the, the the opera scene followed by the cocaine scene, which, yeah, the
1: line don't move till you're numb is pretty dark. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot about that. Um, it's yeah, I'm like, this guy is insane. Uh, it's like he does feel very dangerous. I feel like if it, I don't know, Pacino can get pretty unhinged, so I don't know. But I, I was reading that and thinking it, it's Pacino, so it probably would be good. But I think I am happy that it. I'm happy that it went with Nicholson, because I feel like it's a whole different thing. Like you said, he carries different kind of weight when he walks in the room. Um, yeah, he's yeah, he's he's uh, <laughs> he's going all out in this one. I feel like yeah, Scorsese usually gets the best out of people, so I feel like that that happens here too. What I didn't, I
0: never really knew this about Scorsese. Like I knew he kind of liked uh, improvisation based on what I heard about uh, you know Jonah Hill and The Wolf of Wall Street. But only more recently have I learned just how much of a fan he is of improvisation because it sounds like a lot of the character, a lot of the stuff with the characters, uh, the actors came up with on them on their own. Like, apparently Matt Damon suggested that his character should be
1: impotent to combat uh, the overly alpha nature of Costello. I read that, too. I thought that was a very interesting choice that I'm like, I, I have never even thought of that. But, yeah, that's, that's a good touch. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, another. Yeah, you know, we can spend some time talking about like the alternate casting that almost existed in this movie. Uh, <laughs> Queen in was actually almost played by Robert De Niro.
1: I could definitely see that. I could see that very easily. I feel like you switched those out and I love Martin Sheen. This. He has like a nice like, yeah, a fatherly oh, yeah. energy. But De Niro, that's could have actually
0: sure. <laughs> I love De Niro, but I am real. And it would have been cool to see them work together again. But yeah, no. Queen Martin Sheen is perfect for Queen. Do you watch? Uh, have you ever watched The West Wing?
1: Very little. Like I think I've probably seen an episode or two in my whole life. I never really got into it, but um... he's probably like the best fictional president of all time, Jed I've Bartlett, that. in that yeah. show. And
0: <laughs> he just because Mar- I, I feel like that's what kind of helped Martin Sheen hone this real fatherly quality. Because mm-hmm. you look back to Martin Sheen in the the seventies and eighties, and he's playing like. Really intense, edgy roles like uh, whatever his character name was in Apocalypse Now or Greg Stilson in The Dead Zone or whatever the bad guy was in Firestarter
1: <laughs> <laughs> or whatever the bad guy's name was in uh, um, Spawn. Jesus Christ, oh god, what was that bad guy's name? I've seen Spawn many, many times since I was a kid, but uh, I can't remember what his name is. <laughs> See, so, yeah, I feel like I always... Like,
0: nowadays, I think of Martin Sheen as this loving, fatherly figure, but I'm starting to think, going back all over these roles, maybe he really didn't hone that until he was on the West Wing, and he brings that loving energy to Queen, in, which I think is important for the role and how he relates to uh, DiCaprio, because Billy, Billy needs that love throughout this movie because, literally, the only he's the only person who knows who he is, while him and Dignum. And uh, he's not going to get any love out of Dignum. No, not at all. So like, he needs someone with that really loving fatherly
1: personality that just
0: someone to watch over him, I guess.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's, I, yeah, definitely. Even that scene, I think it really is drilled home in that scene when he shows up to Queenan's house, like in the middle of the night, I feel like and. He, Queen like, is like, hey, sit down and have some food or something. You know, he's like really taking care of him like a dad. I mean, it's really it's like he needs him because, yeah, it's it's he's not getting it from Mark Wahlberg for sure, which oh, is kind not of at all. jumping way to the end, like the very, very end, which is always like in the first time I was pretty blown away by that ending. And I was like, wow, Wahlberg actually showed up to uh to kill Matt Damon. And, uh, and I was like, well, he did have a hand in killing Queen in two, and too. I think Mark Wahlberg genuinely like This character really loves Queen and I'm not sure he felt about, uh, DiCaprio.
0: (laughs) I think he, I think deep down he had, I, I feel like he just, he was abrasive towards DiCaprio to kind of, I don't know, keep him down to kind of keep him undercover. Like, I feel like the back and forth between him and Queen and those two kind of opposing character types really kind of helped keep. Billy in check. I don't know. That's my weird take on it.
1: <laughs> no, no, but that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> deep
0: down, I feel like Dignam did have a respect for Billy for going through everything that he did. And I do think he was genuinely angry when he found out that he died because of uh, Matt Damon. Or yeah. Colin.
1: Yeah. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do character. Listen, names, can I? I, I can't help you because I can only do the name. <laughs> it's like I can only remember actor names. I can't I can't. I can do. I can do some character names. But uh, but yeah, it's going to be tough. I usually just go with the actor name. <laughs>
0: So um another bit god damn we need to there's so much to talk about. It's <laughs> such a monolithic movie. I feel like no matter what, we're not
1: gonna talk know, about I'm anything. trying to boil it down to like I mean, but it's like every that's when I was watching again, I was like, I wouldn't really cut anything. Now this might help you. I have I have three things that I want to call out as like minor nitpicks. I'm curious your take on these things.
0: Have a vague suspicion I know what one of them is.
1: Yes, it's it's a common one. Um okay. These are all, like, things that don't they don't affect me really enjoying the movie at all. But they're more things of, like, hmm, does that really make sense? But, <laughs> um, okay, first thing, it's always been a little far-fetched for me that both Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio have a relationship going on with Vera Farmiga. Like, I mean, it's not a big deal because it goes to a place where it's, like, it pays off pretty well. But I always thought that was a little, like, okay, it's a little bit of a stretch. that They both happen to fall in with the same woman but uh i I don't know is that is am i nitpicking at that point
0: (laughs) i mean no when you think about it that way it kind of makes sense but i you know i don't know how many times i've seen the departed at this point like i want to say 10 to 15 maybe even more i have never once thought about that there are certain (laughs) things i've thought about with this movie like is that an issue i don't know but i have that's never popped into my mind Okay, fair enough. That's a really minor one. I don't really just. I, I will while, tell you. Yeah, I can uh, bring up one thing, and yeah, I guess it's about time we talk about this. Were you able to watch Infernal Affairs before this recording?
1: I was not, unfortunately, because like I said, I was just. I'm watching so much stuff for other podcasts that I'm doing, like recording a bunch at one time. And uh, I saw you watch, and I was like, shit, Mark actually watched it. I didn't watch it. <laughs> so I was like, well, at least Mark, <laughs> at least Mark knows to compare it to. Also, funny thing, up until like today. I thought that movie was called Internal Affairs for years. I didn't know it was Infernal (laughs) Affairs.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a very, it's a very, I've never actually looked up why they call it that or why that was the translation title. But (laughs) yeah, it's kind of strange. If I'd just seen it, written and never heard it spoken i would have assumed it was internal affairs too but no that's the there is a movie called internal affairs i think it might have andy garcia i don't know i think so yeah (laughs) so how is uh, infernal affairs compared to this uh, so infernal affairs is great the only problem is i did see it after i had seen the departed so i watched it once around the time i think that the departed had come out and then i didn't watch it again until a few days ago So I already knew all the twists of The Departed, and this Infernal Affairs is basically the skeleton of The Departed. There are obviously uh, cultural things, and uh, there are a lot of differences, but the basic plot structure is the same, and a lot of the twists are the same. Mm -hmm. It's a very good movie. But because I saw... I might be biased just because I saw The Departed first. And also because I can only watch Infernal Affairs with subtitles. I mean, I guess I could watch it dubbed, but I can't stand dubbing. But because of that, I feel like The Departed (laughs) has more personality. Because... Mm hold on, Let me go to my notes. Amazing. I've been able to do this whole podcast without my notes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, but, like, some of the lines in Infernal Affairs are so dull compared to the ones in The Departed. Like, when... Uh, Colin and Billy are finally in contact with each other uh, on the phone, that like infamous scene on the phone. That's another scene, by the way. I remember watching it in theaters, and I had heard about this scene when they're on the phone with each other, and it's just silent and how tense it was. And when I saw it in theaters, holy shit, by the way, as I'm describing this scene, it's actually playing out on my TV right now. That is just oh, weird. Wow.
1: <laughs> so weird, So yeah. when
0: this scene happens theaters like one or two people in the theater laughed and because of that this scene has always been kind of funny to me and i hate that because if that hadn't happened i'm sure i would have just been glued to the screen mm-hmm. during that silence but anyway after they have that initial call and then they hang up and then colin calls billy back he says you called this number from a dead guy's phone and like that's a all right that's a cool line what do they say in infernal affairs oh <laughs> Why are you calling me? <laughs> Whoever did this translation should get fired.
1: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem as exciting. Um, now, the only thing I know that I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that is straight from Infernal, Infernal Affairs is the scene in Departed after they leave like the, the porno theater. And there's kind of, it's a chase. like you, it's, it's more like a cat and mouse type thing where uh, DiCaprio's almost got Matt Damon. He can almost see him, but he can never quite see him. Isn't that scene like, Almost directly lifted from Infernal Affairs. Uh, yeah, there, okay. there's a
0: lot of uh, things directly lifted from Infernal Affairs, but yeah, that scene's one of the big ones. Uh, the um, the Dame or the Damon character, who uh, in that is played by Andy Lau, I think. Actually, this is another perfect thing to bring up because, uh, and a couple weeks ago, you were discussing uh, Hard Boiled and The Killer. Mm-hmm. And you guys were talking, I think it was hardboiled. you were talking about how Tony Loon is playing a similar character to DiCaprio in The Departed, now he's doing it a lot more subtly. So, <laughs> Tony Lung is actually in Infernal Affairs. He actually plays the role that Departed plays in the... Or that DiCaprio the, plays The, the Departed? Departed plays. Yeah, and I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm, wow, okay. I'm yeah. kind of happy you guys didn't bring that up because it gave me something to bring up on this episode. <laughs> Not that we're not that we are lacking anything to talk about, but it's kind of funny because in Infernal Affairs, he actually does kind of go to those crazy lengths a couple of times that you said he avoided in uh, Hard Boiled. Like, literally, one of the first scenes in Infernal Affairs is a rooftop rooftop talk with his uh, commanding officer that movie's uh, version of Queenan, and he is just freaking out in a level
1: that I don't that we see Leo (laughs) freak out in this. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 fine. I like I me. Mean, you can do both, but I just think it's, I was, it was so interesting watching hard world and then departed close together and seeing like DiCaprio is like really showing it. I feel like he's really, which I think most people would be, but in hard world, Tony lung is like kind of keeping it more internalized, but he still looks very tormented to me. It was, just a, it's a very different way to play the whole, like I'm undercover and I'm kind of losing it, you know, ankle. So I just appreciated the two different like tones of someone playing that kind of part basically. <laughs>
0: Oh, absolutely. And it's uh, I'm glad that you mentioned The Departed when you were talking about that, because that's actually what I thought of when I first saw in uh, when I first saw Hard Boiled was I was not expecting this movie to have a complicated Departed-esque plot. I was just expecting <laughs> a dumb action movie. But no, that is a that is a complex movie.
1: It is. Um, so. I kind of lost where we were Uh, Oh, We're just
0: talking about infernal affairs I will say it's pretty (laughs) much got the same things One difference is that There are two female characters that were kind of Merged into the character Of Madeline played by Vera Farmiga So there's the therapist that he's Seeing and then there's uh, The uh, Lau is his name in the original uh, The character that Damon would play Lau's girlfriend And so yeah he's Um He's still seeing the therapist, and that's literally the only person he has any contact with outside of his commanding officer. But um, she's mostly there just for, uh, yeah, to kind of, I guess, give some comfort to uh, the character of Yan, who is uh, Tony Lung's character, the one that DiCaprio would play. And then the character of, uh, sorry, um, Lao's girlfriend, she's there more to... Uh, kind of give him a moral center and kind of convince him to have a change of heart because yeah in the departed uh colin ends up having a change of heart at the end and that's only partially due to madeline but it's also partially due to kind of uh, a growing uh what's the word i'm looking for i guess there's like a chasm growing between him and frank where he mm-hmm. realizes they're not a uh, they're not as close as he thought they were and that Frank's just using him. And that kind of comes to a head when he finds out that Costello has been uh, informing to the FBI. And yes, uh, which I didn't see
1: coming also the first time I was like, Oh, that's and, a shock. Yeah. Uh,
0: but in uh, infernal affairs, it's mainly just, he wants to be a better person because of her. Oh, okay. interesting. And the, the only other, the other big difference in infernal affairs is that the Lao character, the Damon character does not get killed at the end. He is uh, still a lo- The final scene of the movie, I think, is uh, at um, Tony Lung's funeral. And which I probably should have prefaced this by saying I'm going to give spoilers for Infernal Affairs because that's what I've been doing. But <laughs> Infernal Affairs is just The Departed. So if we're spoiling The Departed, we're spoiling Inferno. Right, that's, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. But yeah, the um, the Damon character does not die at the end because the movie kind of uh, the movie has this theme of uh, I think it's theme in Buddhism or called continuous hell where those who commit an infraction or sin are uh, kind of set to suffer for all eternity. And the movie kind of represents that by having him still alive at the end after he was a he was about to turn over a new leaf, and then the other mole, the character who's played by James Badge Dale in this one, uh, kills him, or kills uh, Tony Lung's character. And then he kind of realizes that he's not going to be able to—I kind of forget the specifics. Basically, he realizes he's still going to have to continue to play this um, kind of crooked character, and it oh, okay. kind of triggers him. And that's and the movie literally ends. In case you didn't pick this up, which I'm a dummy, I didn't. It ends with it the continuous hell quote that it opened with. So it's literally highlighting the theme of the movie right after it like fades out
1: on his tortured face. Interesting.
0: Okay. No, that it is, seems <laughs> it is a great movie though. I'm a, like you don't have to watch it. You know, the older I get, the more I realize like you don't have to watch anything you don't want to watch. If you've seen The Departed you're all right with just sticking with the departed but if you are interested in seeking out infernal affairs and getting this kind of other cultural look on this very same story it's definitely worth checking out i also watched infernal affairs 2 today oh which was uh it's not quite as good it kind of feels like you're watching footnotes for infernal affairs but they did they did take one thing from that where um the Yan character, Tony, who was played by Tony Leung in the original, this is a younger version of him, and we find out that he's uh, he's got ties to a criminal family, which is uh, very much uh, Leo's situation at the beginning of The Departed. But that's yeah. something that was kind of absent from the first Infernal Affairs. He was just a guy in the police academy the, who they decided to choose to go undercover.
1: Okay, yeah, no, I need I need to see it. I think it's yeah, it's it seems like it's talked about when I see people talk about it, it's the same like levels apart from a lot of people. they think it's just as good or almost as good, at least like they think it's a very, uh, a good movie. So yeah, I'll have to see it at some point. I just, I couldn't get around to it this time. And I was like, damn, I really want to watch that before we did the podcast, but, um, that's fine.
0: I, uh, you don't, don't do as much research as I do, Matt. I do. I
1: know. Well, it didn't help. I was prepping for like, (laughs) it didn't help. I was prepping for like five podcasts in the same week. So (laughs) yeah, I don't know. I
0: I have so much admiration for you, podcasters. If I had to do this level of research every week, I would probably go crazy, and I wouldn't have time to watch uh, movies on my own that I want to watch, like Tom and Jerry <laughs> or Ups <grown-ups laughs> too.
1: Oh God, uh, I would hate for you to lose your Tom and Jerry movie watching. <laughs> no, I still, I still find time to to get plenty of stuff in there I want to watch. But r- r- lately, it's just, been I just did to myself. But um, all right, so okay. before we went on our yes. tangent.
0: You were talking about your nitpicks and I you talked things. about uh, <laughs> them both seeing Vera Farmiga said I didn't notice that. Then I went on to talk about Infernal Affairs. Let's go on to your other nitpicks.
1: Yeah, and it does set up that her being pregnant thing, though, which it, it's important. Like, that's an important story beat about later on where she finds out she's pregnant. So it, it goes somewhere. But um, so that's a minor one. These are all pretty minor. OK, next one. Uh, this just bothers me. This isn't even a problem. but It's a more of a character choice of why do you do it? Uh, because when Leonardo DiCaprio near the end. The whole thing's kind of been solved. Like uh Nicholson is dead. Well, they... Can I
0: guess can I guess what you're gonna say here? I yes. just want to see if I know what you're gonna say. You're talking about when he sees the citizens envelope and he decides to get up and leave. Yes. It really when he me. could he easily like he just hadn't seen it. He could just pretend that he hadn't seen it and Damon would have no idea and he could just get out of there.
1: Yeah, or there's a few options. So it's like Pretend he didn't see it and just hang out there because at that point that everybody knows he's a uh, undercover cop, right? It's been like to every not just Matt Damon. Everyone knows that, right? Yeah. OK, well, they
0: I mean, they like they know it because he showed up there. But like Damon still deleted his files. So no one else has seen his actual file. So for all they know, he could just be lying. True. But he doesn't know Damon deleted his file, right?
1: Uh He doesn't know it. That's true. So, but uh, it, it just like, it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm rooting for him and then I want him to be okay. So he does this and I'm like, I, to me, I would have been like, maybe it wouldn't help, but I still would have been like, holy shit, this guy's the fucking mole. You know, I would have grabbed the envelope and tried to show people. And I feel like you have, he has some kind of like, he's got some, uh, what's the word? Not leeway. People would listen to him. I think at that point, um, like Anthony Anderson, I think think those kind of people were still around um, the other officers. I'm just like no why do you leave and just I don't know it just bothers me. It's like damn it don't but (laughs) I was just I was actually thinking about that this week because yeah the past few
0: times I've watched The Departed whenever it comes to that scene I think wow all you have to do is just pretend like you didn't see it and you can bring this up to Ellerby or whatever Anthony Anderson's character name is another time but by just running out and leaving the citizens envelope there, Matt Damon comes back in and he knows that you've seen it and he can just delete your file like that. But I didn't think about that for the like countless times that I watched <laughs> the movie. And when I was thinking about it the other night, I just realized Do you, I can't imagine the state of fear or unease he must be right. in when he sees that. So like the the urge to just run, I, I feel like that is a natural urge. See, that's more that's that feels more like one of those things where you feel like you're smarter than a movie, but you don't actually put yourself in the character's position. I'm not saying that that's what you said, but I'm saying that's kind of like the attitude that I thought of
1: myself when I thought that. No, No. I try to do that a lot, too, with and I, I thought about that when I had this this nitpick where i was like well he's been through a lot it's like and people get on people for especially in horror movies like if they make like a bad decision i'm like well they're in a very (laughs) heightened sense of fear and anxiety and people don't think clearly and they do stupid stuff so um yeah he might as well get the hell out of there I, i don't know i just thought you're in a he can't do anything to you there you're in a police station you know what i mean he can't do anything you in that moment or he would be busted so i thought stay where you are figure figure something out you know what i mean don't just run away like take a minute to calm down think about it but i think it more bothers me because i am rooting for him and i'm like fuck i know this is not going to work out for him yeah the decision that he makes is what eventually leads to him getting killed yes yeah which holy shit now that we're in spoilers yeah that is one of the most shocking moments we we talked about a little bit earlier we talked around it where he they're in the elevator and the way it's shot is not set up for anything like that to happen. And then it's just like, boom, gunshot to Leo's head. He's de- you're dead, gone. It's like, what? what, what? Like, no. It's like...
0: Which caused a couple people in the theater, I saw it, in to laugh. Oh, my God. Maybe, un- laugh? <laughs> maybe it was uncomfortable laughter. Uh, like, yeah, genuinely shocked. You did not, that was the last thing you expected to happen. Or maybe it was someone else. And I will admit, part of the laughter came later after, so... Uh, James Badgdale shoots Leo Barrigan. I'm trying yes. to. I'm trying to remember character <laughs> names. Berrigan great. shoots <laughs> Billy. I don't know Anthony Anderson's character name, so he comes down and Berrigan shoots him. <laughs> a lot of people getting Colin shot. Colin shoots point. Berrigan, and I think it's just so many people die within such a short amount of time right. that actually, it actually is kind of funny. I think I remember my dad actually laughing
1: once Barrigan got shot. It was just like Jesus Christ. I do that sometimes with like violence. It's really shocking where it's almost like a holy shit type moment. And I laugh after I say it, where out loud I'll be like, holy shit. And then, like, kind of like laugh it off in a like a because it shocked me so much where I'm like, whoa, that, yeah, that blew me away the first time I saw it. I did not expect that. Oh, Uh, yeah. And I will admit, I'm kind of guilty. I showed The Departed to a
0: couple other people after that just so I could get their reaction, just so I could see them react to that scene. Like, I'm just like, Oh man, this is gonna make him jump. It's <laughs> gonna be hilarious.
1: <laughs> oh man, yeah. Um That yeah, it's 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 a moment. I just, I love this. Way, Scorsese just handles that because uh, it's it's played to maximum shock effect. I can't imagine anybody was like saw that coming. Like, no, you couldn't. You just maybe not not at that exact moment. Maybe you saw it coming down the road, but. Not in that scene, I feel like. No, not at all. Unless you had seen Infernal Affairs, which apparently <laughs> Scorsese had not seen when he originally I read signed that on too. to I thought movie. that was so interesting. That he hadn't originally seen it when he signed on to it, but uh, it's possible. You can't see everything. So, <laughs> And also, I always thought it was weird. So we'll get back to the twist in a moment, but for the
0: <laughs> longest time, I thought it was weird because on the credits, on the back of the Blu-ray or on the poster, it doesn't say, based on the motion picture, Infernal Affairs. I'm like... Are they trying to like kind of pass this off as a very loose remake because it's a, it's essentially Infernal Affairs like it's set in Boston with uh, Bostonians but it's basically Infernal <laughs> Affairs. But then I was watching the end credits roll the other day and it actually puts that credit in the middle of the end credits. So oh,
1: okay.
0: normally That's- movies would put this on the like in the main credits, but for some reason. uh the departed didn't feel the urge to do that, but <laughs> Scorsese is such a cinephile,
1: he's not gonna rob them of their credit. No, 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 that uh, I think that's what shocked me that he had seen it because he's such a cinephile, especially of like of worldwide, you know, world cinema. I feel like uh, but well, again, you can't see everything, so you know, but no, uh, yeah, uh, who, who has the time, so uh, so yeah, that yeah,
0: back to the back to the twist, yes,
1: <laughs> I realized this the
0: other day, like it's shocking when that happens. But the moment that breaks my heart, the moment that almost makes me want to cry, the moment where it really sinks in that he's gone, is they're at his funeral with the bagpipes and uh, just all the fanfare. And the camera zooms over. Uh, It's like uh, Colin and Madeline are making eyes at each other. Colin's trying to get her attention and she's just like giving him the stink eye because she knows that he's responsible. Yeah, yeah. And the camera pans over; she's looking at it, and it pans over, and it shows that picture of Billy in his cadet uniform, on like his graduation day from the academy. Just this fresh faced young cadet, ready to go off in the world and do some good. And that just that image breaks my heart. That image just makes me want to cry. It you know, was funny.
1: I thought you were gonna say the part when uh, when Queenie gets killed.
0: Well that's the I was actually gonna make a joke earlier. Cinema is full of really bad things happening to people after elevator doors open. And (laughs) it is amazing that this movie has one that's even more shocking than what happens to Queen (laughs) Right? Because yeah, (laughs) when the elevator doors open on Queen well, first off, he prefaces it by saying another one of my favorite quotes in the movie one of you mugs got a light. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, oh man voice and you don't think because he's a high-ranking cop you don't think that they're actually going to kill him because they're going to get in trouble but sure enough the set like you see them charge at him and grab him and you're just like oh no (laughs) and then it cuts to like it's showing billy running out of the building and then it just cuts to silence as you see his body falling yeah. And that that is a heartbreaking moment because Queenan is such a
1: lovable character. It's like watching someone like beat up my grandpa or something. I just like hate how they like it's like or watching like <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not trying to make fun of Martin Sheen, but it's like watching like someone throw a poo bear off a roof. <laughs> it's like that's <laughs> exactly who Martin Sheen is. That's why it's so
0: funny in Popstar when they have that uh paparazzi footage of uh Martin Sheen beating up uh Andy Sandberg. <laughs> Yeah, because oh, man. Not, that is not what you expect from Grandpa Martin Sheen. <laughs> you know, that oh. is a that's a great. I will admit that scene is equally effective in Infernal Affairs, but it's actually handled very differently. Like it's played a lot more slowly, where um, the, uh, the the co- um, the cop the Yang character, the DiCaprio character leaves. And he's just there with his face kind of hidden behind a magazine, and the criminals get off the elevator, and gets onto the elevator, and you think he's made it, and the elevator's about to close, and then one of the thugs just sticks his hand into the elevator because he realizes it's him, mm-hmm. and it's just this like su- it's just this sudden moment of recognition, this very kind of suspenseful moment, and it just cuts to uh, the uh, it just cuts to him running outside, running out of the building, and he gets to the outside. And he walks around. He kind of walks around the building. I think he might take it. Yeah, he takes a cab around the building to meet up with the uh, gang that's just shown up. And he gets out and he's walking into the building and the camera's following him. And then you just see the cop's body land on the cab right behind him. Mm. It's kind of like um, that first death scene in Collateral where the body just lands on Jamie Foxx's car. Which is a great scene. Yeah. (laughs) It's a great scene. Man. Um, I, yeah, uh, that's a heartbreaking <laughs> moment. Uh, there are a lot. I mean,
1: yeah, there are a couple of sad moments in The Departed, and I that's mean, people die pretty like uh, what's the word? Like um, willy nilly doesn't sound right, but like very like very casually suddenly, almost, very like, brutally. Yeah, uh, it's sometimes like... it, sometimes
0: uh, very funnily,
1: <laughs> occasionally like... yes. Um, uh, okay, so okay, we got to talk about this because I think this is a hot topic about The Departed whenever it comes up. Uh, I think you know what I'm going to say. Uh, okay, <laughs> does not kill the movie for me, but it does bother me because it feels so unnecessary. The rat at the end—it's <laughs> like Martin, we got it. Like we, it's like we I just do the shot of the dome. Don't have the rat. Like it, it, it actually it bothers me because I feel like. I don't know why he thinks he needs to drive that home that much. Or do we need, does he think the audience needs that? Or I see, I, (laughs) I completely disagree. I don't think he's
0: doing it in case we need to see it. I think we've just watched a movie about rats and it's just this comedic little, uh, it's just this comedic little punctuation at the end. He's just like, I'm gonna have a little fun with the audience. (laughs) Like the guy, like this guy finally got what he deserved fucking uh, Dignum saved the day. Well, he didn't save the day, but Dignum had the last laugh, even though he wasn't really laughing. I'm going to stop uh, expanding on my metaphors. Basically, <laughs> it's just this little, co- this little comic beat to, like, kind of cap off this really depressing film. And he's just, like, he's winking at us. And I think it's just an old man
1: having fun with his audience.
0: And I appreciate it.
1: Fair enough. Okay. It doesn't, like, it doesn't, it's not a deal-breaker. I don't think anything, like, um, know, it's a
0: deal breaker of some. You remember that uh, that Indiegogo <laughs> campaign? Or that was Indiegogo oh, a Kickstarter? Oh, didn't they want did you you to digitally
1: rat? Yes. I forgot about this. <laughs> okay, I don't want to go that far. I don't want and I like your reading of it. I just, ever since it came out, I was not influenced by anybody on this when I first saw it. I thought, I remember thinking, oh, come on, we don't need the rat. Like, but I like your reading of it. And if it's more of like a punchline. And Today I was thinking about this, and I don't know if it's even the right reading at all. But I was like, could it be symbolism for like, oh, Mark Wahlberg wanted to like escape and get to like this nice apartment, have these nice things, and even in this nice apartment overlooking this beautiful Golden Dome State Building, he's still got a fucking rat problem. I mean, it makes sense that be, he's a rat, but, but yeah. But it's like, is that could it be also metaphor for like, oh, you think you're in this nice place and you got a rat? I don't know. You could read it a few different ways, but uh, you know. I, uh, you,
0: you want me to point something out to you? And I don't have a problem with this scene because I do think like it could just be him talking. But the most heavy handed metaphor for me is not the rat, but it's when uh, Billy goes to Madeline's apartment oh. and they're just uh, talking and he just goes, you don't have any cats. I like that.
1: <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ! because you're a metaphorical rat you are actually afraid of cats, cats come yes, on okay like, i really hadn't even caught that line i almost i guess i had just you know not paid attention to it until recently and I, I caught it and i thought wait no like it was one of those things like what i was like that's that might be worse i don't know that's uh, again i don't
0: think it's a problem because earlier i said i i think we were talking before the recording i said I don't mind heavy-handedness in movies. I love it. So, of course, (laughs) I I don't have a problem with it. But I'm kind of surprised that the rat is what everyone focuses on and not that ridiculous line.
1: Probably because that line is so, like, I think kind of under the radar and it's in the middle of the movie. The rat is, like, the thing you leave the movie on. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's the final shot. So it's, like, how do you, you know, it really sticks people's minds. So I I don't, listen, it's all fine, whatever. But I, I told you before we started recording, too. I'm usually defending people for not being subtle. Like, I don't care for directors. People get so mad at, like, Spike Lee, one of my favorite directors. People don't, I think people don't think he's subtle enough. I love that Spike Lee isn't subtle. I love that he just, like, he's got something to say. He's just going to fucking say it. He's like, I don't have time for subtlety. Like, I've got, you know what I mean? I've got, I've got things I want to say, and I don't have time to dance around. So he's just going to, like, be right in your face with it. Um, Oh, yeah. Heavy hand. More more movies should be heavy handed. All movies (laughs) should be heavy
0: handed. There's no room for subtlety in movies. All right, I'm kidding. There's definitely room for it, but I there definitely... Is. I, just, yeah, I don't I will, have a
1: problem with uh, subtlety. Or, I, sorry, I will, heavy-handedness. Yes, I I will defend people not being subtle. This, I, The rat bothers me. I don't know why. I just think it's just, like, one of those things where I'm just like, we just don't need it. I don't know. It's like, it, why? It doesn't need to be there, but uh, it, it's fine. I wouldn't be signing up for the campaign to digitally remove the movie. But otherwise, I love that ending because I don't know how it played in the theater. I imagine uh, I thought you might have got cheering when Mark Wahlberg shoots Matt Damon because you know what
0: that remind that actually reminds me of something. I used to watch trailers a lot more for movies and I watched the trailer for The Departed countless times before it came out because I was so excited for it. I can probably still like recite the first 30 seconds of the trailer from memory just because I watched it so much. And there's one shot. So I actually knew how the movie was going to end or I knew that oh. Wahlberg was going to be in his apartment because Did they, use that they shot? have they have that shot of him with the gun. Oh. And it's a very vivid shot. I remember from the trailer because they don't show Wahlberg that much in the trailer. But that's one of the few things and I'm like the whole time I'm watching the movie and I realize, wait, they haven't shown that shot yet. Oh, and then uh, he's walking do into that. his apartment. I'm just like, oh, yeah. That's, have you seen uh, Angels and Demons? I, this is a weird tangent, but I promised it'll kind no, of. No, no, I have not. No, I've not. Let's just say the twist in Angels and Demons was given away by something I saw in a TV spot. OK. And it's and weird. So it's I... happened multiple times. But it's funny because it's not like the trailer's flat out giving a twist away. Right. It is just a quick shot. And most people aren't overly analytic about trailers the way we are. <laughs> yeah. So most people won't pick up on that. And or re- if they do, they won't remember it by the time the movie comes, but because movies are our life and we love trailers, we take these things to heart. And so we remember them when we're watching the movie and it kind of ruins it for us, but it's yeah. not at all like what lies beneath where they reveal the twist
1: to the whole movie in the trailer. It's much <laughs> different from that. Oh, I hate when I, when I do that. I hate that my brain remembers the trailer and I've been in movies where it's like, let's they pretend to kill off a character halfway through. But then in my mind, I know, no, I've seen that trailer. There's multiple shots and scenes with that character again. They must not really be dead. And my friends like, how'd you know? I'm like, I saw the trailer. It's like, that's how I know. It's like, he can't be dead because they've got all this other stuff they have to do with this character. So I can't of examples right now, but yeah, it's, it's, I hate that when I remember that I'm glad I never saw that because I, I was going to say Scorsese is a good job of like, kind of pushing Wahlberg out of the movie and you kind of forget about him because it's very like low-key how he leaves the movie I feel like because it's kind of like oh yeah he's on a yeah on you don't
0: list. you don't remember him at all and uh I mean it's they don't even met I'm assuming that's what was in the envelope that Billy gave to Madeline is I'm an undercover informant find uh staff sergeant Sean Dignam tell him what happened if anything happens to me I'm right. sure that's yeah. exactly how uh Dignam found out but because they don't actually show what's in that envelope, yeah, you completely forget about him.
1: Yeah, it's it's well played. And I because I love Justice, I love that Matt Damon gets it at the end because <laughs> he seems like such a nice guy usually. But he's a real, like, something bad in the movie, you want to punch him in the face. He got, like, the shit-eating, like, grin. He's like, like, you just fucking hate him because he's such a little... But you kind of
0: hate him, but, I mean, I've mainly been focusing on this the past few viewings. You can't blame... you like... It's not entirely his fault. Like he was a, gr- like he, apparently he was a great student in school. He was just this clean cut little boy who just happened to be in the wrong restaurant at the wrong time, when <laughs> Frank Costello shows up. And I think that's what's so in- evil about Costello's. He doesn't go after just like these thugs on the street. He goes after this kid, these kids like who recruiting. are doing yeah. really good in school. <laughs> yeah. goes after smart people who people won't suspect like that's how he's able to get through the police Academy without any suspicion, because this is not the type of person that you would expect to, uh, kind of work for the other side. Whereas Billy, because his, most of his family are criminals from South Boston. They suspect him right away, even though all he wants to do is good. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. that's yeah. what is so evil about how Costello does what he does. Yeah. And that's why I can't bring myself to fully hate Damon. Cause Like, he's all, like, I feel like part of him wants to change. Part of him wants to be good. Like, he's talking with Madeline about how he wants to do, he's doing law school at nights at Suffolk, and how he kind of wants to change things about his life. And he's got this impotence problem because of, uh, he's not the real alpha in his life that's Costello. (laughs) Right, yeah. And, um, like, he really loves Madeline, and he just wants to, like, have a normal life. Like sometimes I want to wonder if that's like the first real relationship he's been in because he spent so much of his life just under Costello. It's a good it point. probably It yeah. probably isn't because he's, he's pretty smooth when he's talking to her. That's true. When, he, does a, he does a good job. <laughs> like I, I love that one moment. Yeah, I love that moment where he's like holding up the elevator, and the Scorsese he doesn't he doesn't forget that there are other people in the elevator, and they have that <laughs> shot of him turning around, and being like, "Yeah,
1: just one minute." And <laughs> this is Boston. I feel like they'd be like, "Come on, buddy, move it the fuck along. <laughs> Close the <laughs> fucking door." <laughs> you know, I am
0: I'm impressed, Matt. We've managed to do a very slow amount of Boston accents. I
1: know. I, I hope people are not disappointed because I feel like I've talked up the Boston accent. So we hardly did them. But I felt like if I did them, it would be it would I'd be forcing it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, let's do, uh, what, we should do like a speed round of just our favorite quotes and just like squeeze all the Boston
0: accent into that. Just uh, it mostly. Oh, Wahlberg God, and can I tell I you my favorite? I, I think I told you earlier my favorite quotes in the movie. But honestly, my favorite quote, maybe my favorite movie quote oh, of okay. all time. Mm-hmm. comes from Alec Baldwin as Captain LRB. At the microprocessor deal, okay. when they've just gotten there, he's just like sorry, this lead came from Queen's Undercover I'm gonna have a smoke right now. You wanna smoke? You don't smoke do you right? What are you one of those fitness freaks? <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> he is so excited that they're finally gonna catch Costello oh, yeah. that he is just he has no time for him. He talks to him, but he's ready to get on and get this deal going.
1: Yeah. yeah also
0: yeah. later in that scene, he like gets he like jokingly gets that one guy in a choke load and he's like patriot act patriot act oh. <laughs> he's,
1: yeah he's ridiculous him and Wahlberg are so goddamn entertaining. this movie it's ridiculous alec like
0: baldwin has gone on to become a joke i think because of like constantly playing donald trump and i think he once wanted to run for mayor and it's like alec baldwin just just act that's all you're good for right. <laughs> but as he, an yeah. actor he is no joke one of my favorite actors of all time because when he
1: comes prepared Mm-hmm. Like, he knocks it out of the park. Like, did you ever watch 30 Rock? A little bit. I've seen him in... Th- he seems really good in that show. I've seen, I've seen like enough clips, yeah. The,
0: yeah. that's one of the best performances of all time, hands down. Like, <laughs> dramatic or comedic. He is just so good in that show. And whenever I see him in movies, I just... I'm always so excited to see it. Even in Mission Impossible Fallout, when it's like he doesn't have oh, that much yeah. to do, I'm still, like, so fucking thrilled that he's there.
1: Yeah, I do just like seeing him pop up and stuff. And that Mission Impossible thing, yeah, it was fun. I was like, oh, good. He's in this. Like, you know, it's uh, yeah, I like yeah. it. Yeah, he brings it in this one. I mean, once again, it's Scorsese. So he's probably like, I got to bring my A game. Also, for a guy that I am pretty sure is not from Boston or any of that New England area, I feel like he does like the third best Boston accent after Damon and Oh Wahlberg's first, I think. Then Damon, then Baldwin, I think is probably the third best Boston accent. <laughs> yeah, he's got to be the third best because DiCaprio's good. Uh,
0: well, that's uh the really I don't think there's a bad Boston accent in the movie, but I, yeah. I, I Alec feel like Ball Nicholson's not really trying to keep <laughs> to keep one that much. Like uh, he occasionally'll drop his R's, but yeah, he's more focused on just uh being Nicholson.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's like, I don't have time for the accent. I'll do it if I want to. Uh so everyone's doing a pretty good job. They must have uh they must all talked to Wahlberg for a while. Oh, you know like, who's not do?
0: doing a Boston accent though. And mm-hmm. uh Hayden will appreciate that I'm mentioning this because it's one of the things he always brings up to me. Ray Winstone. Oh, in yeah. the middle of all these Boston or Irish accents, you just get Ray Winstone with his standard Ray Winstone British accent. <laughs> but he's still so good. God, this movie, I don't I only ever seen him like i started watching that movie the proposition but i only watched like 10 minutes of it so this was basically my first exposure to ray winstone Mm -hmm. and it made me a lifelong fan of his he is so good in this he's got that cold dead stare like he never shows any emotion until he gets shot at the end oh yeah yeah Which that's because you think this like the whole movie you think this is the only guy that Frank Costello actually cares about like this is his lifelong buddy Mr. French and then he gets shot and all Costello does is get out of the car and try to save his own skin because he doesn't (laughs) care about anyone
1: yeah yeah that's uh he's a real he's a real piece of shit that Castell- <laughs> I, re- I
0: remember, remember this will be a stupid anecdote He this is a re- movie i bet you never thought would be referenced on a departed podcast oh <laughs> i saw ray winstone in the trailer for that movie fool's gold with matthew mcconaughey and kate oh, hudson okay yeah yeah <laughs> i never saw the movie and uh, i thought it looked bad but i'm watching that trailer and in the middle of it you just hear this voice Anybody finds that treasure, it's gonna be me. And it shows Ray Winstone, and I'm like, what? I love him. <laughs> and like Winston. that single handedly <laughs> made me want to watch that movie. Oh <laughs> man, um, I was such a die hard fan of his for a long time. I can't remember the last like big movie. It was it was probably Noah, which is my favorite Aronofsky film, probably because it has Ray Winstone in it.
1: Wow, I uh, that. That's the shocking thing. Most i blown away by that. Sorry. I'm like, maybe... Was it you or somebody else talking about how they loved every Aronofsky movie? I can't remember. Well, I think who, it was um, Mitch on the Fantasy Oscars. Yeah, and I remember thinking to myself, even Noah? <laughs> like, I just... See, I don't hear nope. anyone even talk about Noah. So... Oh, and Yeah, I, I mean, I've I've got my fair share of
0: hot takes, but, yeah, that's probably one of the hottest. But, goddamn, <laughs> Noah is a weird movie, but give it a shot because that movie... Like, that is a bold movie. Talk about swinging for the fences. Like, taking this well-known biblical story and turning it into this story about fanaticism and... Athe-
1: oh my God. Okay. All right. Sometimes just, atheists listen. make the best <laughs> yeah. movie about religion. That's what I was so confused by. I'm like, this is he a religious person? I didn't think he was. I'm like, why is he making the <laughs> Noah movie? Um. Okay. I may after what Mitch said, and what you said, I may put it back on my radar because I was like, I'm never gonna watch Noah. Basically, I was like, I got no interest in that story. I don't even care that Tarantino. Like, I'm good, but um, maybe I'll have to watch it. I don't know. I. No one talks about it, I feel like. It's like a forgotten Aronofsky movie. <laughs> oh, no, like,
0: I always make, whenever Aronofsky comes up, I always make sure to bring up that that's my favorite because I know it's going to be, uh, I know it's going to take all the air out of the room. <laughs> I don't I don't know know like that this. is the reaction that i yearn for <laughs> oh okay. all right we talked about fool's gold we talked about uh, Noah. Noah we perfect get <laughs> back to the department
1: <laughs> so okay yeah so we're getting we've approached a two-hour mark so i really feel bad but we'll have to start wrapping up but um one thing i love and i'm gonna mention this or not is i can't wait to mention it yet the opening to this movie because it's one of those great openings that goes on for like 15 20 minutes and then the titles start you get the ship out oh, to yeah. Boston.
0: <laughs> And it's amazing how much they're able to cram into that. Like they cram in Colin's childhood, they cram in both of their time at the police academy, they cram in Colin rising in the ranks in the police department. Uh, you get a uh, Billy's backstory. You get Colin. Yeah, Colin eventually becoming part of the special
1: investigations unit. Like, there is so much in the beginning of that movie. Yeah, so much you forget that we haven't seen the titles yet. And then you do the, the Ship him to Boston, uh, the kind of montage that I love. And you're like, oh, right, the titles haven't happened. But um, such a good opening because it gets you right into it and gives you so much information, uh, you know, which is, of course, he's really good at. He's good at, like, you know, getting these quick. Uh, kind of not, oh, yeah. it's not really a montage it's more like just it's a quick series of things but they get you right on board but that's as that. much
0: uh, we got to give credit to whenever we're talking about Scorsese and montage we got to give credit to Thelma Schoonmaker because oh, yes. she's like <laughs> like one of the titans of editing just one of the best ever one of, Yeah, he the absolutely, fact that they yeah. are as old as they are and their movies are still as quick and energetic
1: as they are just says something about how good she is yeah yeah, she's amazing. That's I, what I was thinking about, like, uh, Casino, which I think is, like, the editing in that is, it's all good in his movies. But, like, that movie, like, the first hour especially is, like, boom, boom, boom. Like, it's just so, so quickly paced, so well edited. Um, so, yeah, yeah we you talk were about- talking
0: er, you were talking earlier about how quickly The Departed moves for a two-and-a-half-hour
1: movie.
0: Casino, <laughs> talk about movement in a three-hour
1: movie. <laughs> It's insane. Yeah. They do go hand in hand, her and uh or him and her. They they just yeah, they do a great job. And like, yeah, he's got an older and like his movies uh, he, like Wolf of Wall Street, I cannot believe that movie was made by like a I think he was like seventy at the time, like a 70 year old man, because it has the energy of like a guy in his like twenties, thirties. Like it's completely insane. Like it's just bananas that he made that movie at his age and it feels so energetic. And Departed is still he's older there, but it's like feels like a young man's movie to me. But um he's just so good. Um so I hate to try energy. to rush you, but, oh. but uh, do you want to hit on like some, like some highlights that you want to really mention about the departed? Yeah. Before we Let, me, uh, yeah. Scorseses? Let
0: me bring up my like ridiculously long list of notes and see if there's anything. Oh yeah. You know what? We, you mentioned shipping up to Boston. Let's talk about the music because Scorsese is so specific in his music choices. Mm-hmm. And like his movies are very much driven by the music as well as the editing and everything else. And, it's the third movie that he's used Gimme Shelter in. And he, <laughs> he used actually it twice, used I believe, it
1: twice, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, I love and, that. Uh, what's
0: even funnier, again, calling out Hayden. You're getting a lot of love on this episode. Before <laughs> The Irishman came out, he sent me this, like, mock script page. This, like, spoof script page from The Irishman. And somehow that page managed to have Gimme Shelter played twice. <laughs> and it fucking cracked me up. But what's really funny about the second time they use it is that uh is that it actually stops and starts again in that scene. So it's the scene where uh, Madeline's moving into Colin's apartment and it starts playing and then it kind of dips dips out and then the opening of Jimmy Shelter cuts back in and I'm just like, "Why are you playing the song twice?" <laughs> but no, I really love I like I love cuz um Watching it this time, like I knew we were going to talk about it. And I will admit, part of the reason I chose this, you sent me a list of uh, movies that I could talk about on my second appearance. Part of the reason I chose The Departed was because I wanted to challenge myself. I didn't want to just talk about some other dumb slasher movie or some (laughs) stupid action movie in which you're not going to have much analytical discussion. You're just going to talk about how cool things are, which is my wheelhouse. I'm comfortable with that. But I wanted to talk about a movie where I could challenge myself. And with a Scorsese movie, you better come ready to play or people will eat you alive. So <laughs> please don't eat
1: us alive, people. I'm doing my best here. We have. This has not been the the most analytical. We've kind of gone off of different tangents, but, but I have fun. Okay,
0: we talked about Fool's Gold and that'll make people yeah. laugh. And, and if you make them laugh, they won't
1: care as much. <laughs> Peter I
0: think the um, yeah, I think the mile 22 tangents, the highlight of this, yep. I could do a whole show
1: on mile 22. I could do a minute by minute breakdown of that movie Dude, because
0: bring I'm... me on for a Peter Berg retrospective and we can devote plenty of time to
1: mile, well, 22. Listen, mile 22 might need its own show. I don't I could I'm baffled by l- almost every choice from start to finish that movie. And I am. I, I don't even know what to say. i just that movie blows me away. But uh, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. Sorry. So okay. So I was talking about being analytical. So I was paying
0: attention to like specific music placement, and I noticed that that song plays at the beginning when uh, Frank uh, meets Col or when Colin meets Frank, and it's like this be- this very this very big moment in his life where he's finally met someone who he feels like cares about him, and he's taking him in. And then it doesn't play again until Madeline moves in. And that feels like those are like the two major forces in his life. And they're kind of pulling him in opposite directions. And so I thought it was interesting that he chose to play it in both those specific moments.
1: Again, Mm -hmm. Scorsese,
0: he knows what he's
1: doing. (laughs) He knows what he's doing, everybody.
0: (laughs) And another song that plays twice is uh, I'm Shipping Up to Boston. Mm -hmm. you know how many times have i seen this movie i have never put any thought into the music like why he's using these specific music choices when he does i'm just enjoying the movie because it's one of the most entertaining movies ever made and i'm just like going along for the ride but like when i'm actually trying to pay attention to this i'm just like why are you such a genius scorsese because he plays i'm shipping up to boston first when leo agrees to be a rat for the uh for the state police Mm Mm-hmm. And then it plays it again when Colin decides to turn on Costello. In effect, kind of being a rat for the state police. He's actually giving him up for once instead of giving up police information to Costello. So both times the song plays, it's uh, symbolizing someone uh, deciding to uh, play for the police, to play for that team. Uh, and I okay. thought that was pretty interesting. It is good, yeah. <laughs> and the last one I'll bring up, because there's there's a lot of like musical stuff you can talk about in this movie but
1: last one i'll bring up is the use of comfortably numb oh i'm glad you brought this up because i i fucking love how he uses that song in this movie i I love that song already on its own and i love in this in this movie so yeah go ahead i
0: think the stroke of genius is using the live version where van morrison is singing i think it's van morrison he's singing the chorus
1: because um
0: yeah (laughs) because it's uh, like Roger, I love Pink Floyd. You know, they're one of the greats, and Comfortably Numb is one of the great songs, but Roger Waters in that song, or in general, sounds like a robot or an alien. He doesn't sound human. <laughs> and, like, it's a song about drug use. I know, shocker, Pink Floyd made a song about drug use. <laughs> and, um, so that song kind of, like, like, when you hear Roger Waters singing it, it's kind of, like, giving you the feeling of, like, I don't know, I guess being on drugs, but when you hear Van Morrison sing he brings such a human touch to it, which is very important because this is like this affection that uh, Billy and Madeline feel for each other. It's very much like a drug for both of them, especially Billy, who's literally the only affection he gets is fatherly affection from Queenan. So this is a big moment for him. And it's like it's like a drug, this uh, connection that he's feeling to her and. The fact that Roger Waters is singing this song, it's like Roger Waters, Van Morrison, Jesus Christ.
1: <laughs> I literally it's, just it's funny I was I, talking about it this whole time. I'd hate to correct you, but I don't. I think usually Comfortably from, come from Numb is sung by David Gilmore. I think. Oh, is it? I, See, I, I think not, it's his song. I think I know it's a Pink I'm Floyd not song, a, song, but I think uh, it's like. I'm not an expert by any means because <laughs> I love that song so much. I think I know that it's like. Uh, cause he does that amazing guitar solo in that song. And I'm pretty sure it's, oh, okay. he wrote the whole thing yeah. and sings it. And, um, I think I may be wrong, but I don't, I just, but yeah, I do like they use a different version. Who's How sung
0: like- Comfortably Numb, Roger Waters or David Gilmore? <laughs> email filmfeastpodcast <laughs> at gmail.com.
1: That actually is our email address. I
0: never give it Oh, out. really? It is. In all honesty, yes. Email him to let him know if I'm wrong, because I want to know if I'm wrong. I want to better myself in life. And if I can start by getting the person who's sung Comfortably Numb right, that'll be a good start. <laughs> but it doesn't matter for this podcast, because the point is we're talking about Van Morrison. And like he just brings such a humanity to that song that I think is perfect for that scene, and it's so beautiful. And that's another thing I'll talk right, I'm done talking about the music, but I will talk about Vera Farmiga, because... Oh, my God. Vera Farmiga. Like, I've had such a long time crush on her. Um, When I first saw her, I just like I felt like Anakin Skywalker. I was like, are you an angel? <laughs> and she just looked out the screen at me and said, yes, I am. And I, I just went, so <laughs> I just went. Yippee! <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, Vera um, Farmiga is incredible. And apparently Scorsese originally wanted a name actress for that role. I think some of the suggestions I saw were Jennifer Aniston or Emily Blunt, which is kind of weird because Emily Blunt wasn't really a name until uh, like after that year. I think The Devil Wears Prada was the first thing where people really became familiar with her. So she wouldn't have been a name. But fortunately, we got Vera, which gave that we probably Vera was in stuff before this. She was in like. To the bone and uh,
1: running scared in the same year running scared. So she had a great 2006, I feel like. That's right. I, I st- love I that movie so much. That. I've got that Blu-ray. Oh, un- you haven't it. seen running scared yet? Oh, I my God. Watch it. It's I. That's a movie that I will not shut up about the people like, oh my God, I love running scared so much. Like, I think it's like one of the most underrated movies of that decade. I think it's, it's just incredible. Like I, that movie fucking blew me away. I rented it on a whim. I didn't, I was like, oh, Paul Walker in this, what is this action movie? <laughs> you know, it's like the fast and the furious guy and he's so good in it. And the movie's amazing. Um, yeah, you definitely check that out. It's really, really good. <laughs> I will. I'm You know, I'm gonna pull it off my
0: shelf. I'm gonna put it in my to watch pile, and I'm gonna try and get to that one within the next week. Cause, yeah, it's kind of criminal. I haven't watched that yet. But the point is, Vera Farmiga was was like she was probably known in like cinephile circles because I think To the Bone was a festival hit. But she would. I don't think she would have the career she does today if not for The Departed, because that movie won Best Picture. It put her on people's radar. Mm-hmm. And it got her notice, and that was, like, it was after that that I think she got, like, started landing her bigger roles, like Up in the Air up
1: there, yeah, no. Conjuring Orphan,
0: mm-hmm. which was actually Orphan? produced by Leo, believe it oh, or not. Oh, interesting. And I, wanted, I always wonder if he was the one who suggested her for that role, because he's like, I worked with her in The Departed. She was incredible. She deserves <laughs> to have the lead role in this really dumb movie. Why am I producing <laughs> this movie?
1: Hey, we like Orphan around these parts. We do like Orphan around these parts. You're not wrong. Okay, I just, I know you said that movie. I was like, oh, does he, I mean, oh, it's no. kind of, it's silly, but I love if it. If you ever catch me, I actually
0: did not like Orphan when I first saw it because I was trying to be like a little more pretentious. And I'm like, what is oh. this stupid fucking twist? Come on, <laughs> give, give me something real. And I want to go back in time and slap that guy because he was so
1: wrong. Orphan is the shit. Listen, we all go through that phase at some point in your movie i feel like movie watching life you go through your pretentious phase mine was around like uh i don't know probably a little before that like i don't know uh oh four or five maybe i don't remember it was like definitely a point where i was like being very pretentious about things and like oh you like that blah, blah, blah. like i'm gonna get a pipe and start you know it's, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> we gotta go through it we have to go through that so we can come out the other I, yeah. end like we have one has to push through it like I see younger people on like Letterboxd, I can tell they're like 18, 19, and that's usually everything everyone goes through. And they go, you can tell they're being very pretentious. And I'm like, listen, you're gonna push through that, and then like in five, ten more years, you're gonna just be like, listen, I just want to watch something real dumb, and you're just like, listen. Well, not whoa, yeah.
0: Not everyone pushes through that phase, Matt, because there are plenty of older people on Letterboxd who are
1: just as pretentious as those young people. And thank God we're not going to turn out like that. <laughs> well, that's true. And then I was like, movies just be fun. But no, I think a lot of people do go through it at some point. And they usually can. I hate most people change or they just kind of enjoy everything at a certain point. But once again, we're off topic. But continue Vera Farmiga is great. Yes, <laughs> like... that's really much all I want is to... I talked about the music and I wanted to make sure to bring up
0: Vera Farmiga because, yeah, this was kind of the role that put her on the map. And mm-hmm. I think uh, for the better, because uh, she's a gift to us. Much like I said earlier with Michael Pena. Yeah. I, and I pretty much great in everyone, like, everyone in this movie. Yeah, no, I mean, I just watched uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters again, and that's just a dumb monster movie. But she still like, she brings it all. To, she brings her all to that role. She never phones it in.
1: That's true. She Actually,
0: is really. I would <laughs> yeah. so I, I just say, while we're on the topic of Vera Farmiga, if I can give a quick movie recommendation, because it's one I just... Uh, stumbled upon last year i think i was going through a little vera obsession after i watched king of the monsters but she was in this like little rom-com with andy garcia called at middleton in uh the middle of the last decade have you uh, heard of that i've never even heard of that movie yeah it's yeah it like just came and went it's like a little blip of a movie but it's this adorable it's it's not like a rom-com it's more of like uh i don't know it's kind of like a lighter version of um Lighter middle-aged version of Before Sunset, I guess I would think. It's just this uh, day at this college campus. Vera Farmiga and Andy Garcia are bringing their kids along to a tour a college campus. Vera's daughter is actually played by Taysa, so that's kind of adorable. Oh, okay, yeah.
1: <laughs> she's and, also uh, great. Yeah, it's like a
0: yeah. oh, talented incredible. family there.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> And yeah, so they um, they end up kind of spending the day. I think their kids kind of go off and spend the day together while they go off and spend the day together. And it's just this kind of sweet story between these two middle-aged characters. It's, um, if you're looking for, like, an off-the-beaten-path kind of rom-com type movie, check out At Middleton. And if you don't like it, at me,
1: because I want to <laughs> know what's wrong with you. This is, I haven't even heard of this movie. This is insane to me how many movies just, like fall through the cracks and they have stars in them. It's like, I never even heard of this. It's crazy. Uh, It looks delightful from the poster. I just see Andy Garcia and Vera just smiling at each other. I'm like, yeah, that looks nice. (laughs) I got a tip for you, Matt. Just like develop an obsession with an
0: actor or actress you have a crush on and you'll just like look through their whole filmography and you'll dig up
1: the like lesser known (laughs) movies. You're like,
0: I gotta watch that.
1: Yeah, 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 uh, man. Okay, so if you had nothing else, I have to ask because I have you here. We're talking about Scorsese, and I really want to know what are your, what would you say are your top five Scorsese movies? So, Matt, I'm gonna give you something. I instead of giving you my top
0: five, I'm gonna give you the eight that are regularly in my top five. Okay. Because with
1: a great director like Scorsese, your favorites are always shifting. It's I've like I've got seven that are in like the <laughs> exactly. Two honorable mentions, but I'll just do the same thing you're doing. Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah, a couple of them, a couple of these will always fall off, and two of them will rise up, and then vice versa. So, anyway, and this is not in order because the order is always shifting too. But the Irishman, because yeah, I know it only came out recently, but that's already in my top tier of Scorsese. Goodfellas, Casino, The Departed, Shutter Island, Cape Fear, and I feel like I'm forgetting
1: one. Wow, I could have maybe, sworn that
0: I, I could have sworn that I had eight, but that's only six.
1: Maybe if I do mine, it might jog your memory if one of those pops
0: up. So yeah, jog um, them. I do. I do really like the ones. I still haven't seen Raging Bull. That's
1: probably the biggest crime. You know, I. Oh wait, I, wait. I, I got it. Oh, I got it. Uh, yes. Wolf of Wall Street. That's oh also okay. On. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I I like Raging Bull. Uh. Uh, it's not near my favorite. It's kind of a, kind of like a tough watch, but he's such an unlikable character, you know, <laughs> like uh, such an unlikable. Be so good. But it's like, God damn it. It's just. Yeah, it's not super fun. For, I, it's a great movie. I just it's not near my top. Um, So, OK, this is I have seven. I, these are kind of in order, but that so could we, change. We've it. both got seven. So it works out perfectly. <laughs> so, OK. uh, OK, so these are I did put them in order, but whatever. It's uh, so King of Comedy. Very uh, nice. After Hours. Actually, I think I like King High more than After Hours, but what? it's fine. Uh, <laughs> Taxi Driver, uh, The Irishman, The Departed, Wolf of Wall Street, and Goodfellas. Goodfellas is solidly number one for me, though, but that's the one I'm like, that's number one.
0: <laughs> See, what I like about your list is yours has a lot more variety. Because I basically just did all of his crime movies, and then it's two thrillers. <laughs> because... But you, you went all over, like, you put a couple of his crime movies, his uh, offbeat movies, King of Comedy and After Hours, and uh, you managed to squeeze Taxi Driver in there, too. So, good for you, Matt. You are the better
1: man of the two of us. <laughs> no, no, he's got a lot of great ones. And it's funny, because I, I just was talking about, like, how I feel like people want Scorsese to, like, do crime movies over and over, and I picked a bunch of them. And I didn't pick anything, like, off the beaten path, like, Last Temptation of Christ, or Kundun, or Age of Innocence, or <laughs> Bring Out the Dead, like, but... I have only seen the ones I just said. What I've seen, only only Bring up the Dead. I have been slacking on like kind of the lesser talked about Scorsese movies. But um... don't worry, so have I. I've um, yeah, I haven't seen Kundun or uh, Last Temptation,
0: uh, Raging Bull, New York, New York. Yeah, there's a lot of them. I still haven't seen Silence,
1: even. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think I literally blind bought silence until I haven't watched it. It's like I was like, it's Corsese. I'll, that's I'll like a it.
0: movie. That's a movie. Like you were talking earlier about you have to be in the mood for um, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. I feel like that's even more the case. Oh, with Something yeah. like
1: silence. I know distinctly I have pulled silence off the shelf and looked at it and go not right now. So I was like, I can't <laughs> I can't do like I think it's almost three hours. It's like a heavy religious drama. Like that's a rare mood for me to be in. Um But yeah, I will say this about my picks. I'm going to try and justify why I
0: did pick all the crime movies. Because, like, the older I get, the more I relate to stories about friendship and loyalty. And all of his crime movies deal heavily with that. And I'm also starting, like, the older I get, the more I relate to movies about old age. And, oh, my God, like, it doesn't really get better than The Irishman when it comes to that.
1: That movie... That was one I had to sit with. I've only seen it the once, but I literally, I think I think about it almost more than any other Scorsese movie. Like the last shot, uh, the stuff with Joe Pesci when he gets older kind of breaks my heart because it's like, it's like, it's, man, it's rough. It's like, because it's like guys you've grown up watching and they're eight, he's aging them up, and they're it's all about dying and aging, and just like, goddamn, it just sucks. What's so <laughs> brilliant! It took me a couple of viewings to get this, but you know,
0: that funny little gag he does where he's like, random characters, he'll ha- he'll like have this text on the screen showing how they die. Like, so and so, uh, got killed by a pipe bomb, 1980, yeah, shot in the head, sitting in his car. <laughs> what I like, it's kind of brilliant because yeah, i feel like i'm just mansplaining the irishman to listeners now but <laughs> uh what well, we're talking about scorsese and why he's awesome and this is one of the reasons he's awesome but like after all that like all these people when you think about it they kind of got it better than de niro because uh he ends up living a long life and he like just lives this whole life of
1: solitude by himself with all oh. his
0: friends die his daughter won't talk to him anymore <laughs>
1: yeah that, it's that oh my like, god that's it's heartbreaking heartbreaking that, that's, it's it's so that's why when i said it sucks i didn't mean the, i meant it sucks to get old and get and oh, an age no. like that yeah it's like oh my god it's i have a real oh, we're getting we're it's like i think i have a real fear of like getting old and being alone and like that ending no. just whew, me it's too like, that is honestly one of my biggest fears and that movie does does not pull me punches on that and it's it's uh yeah, it's rough. I know, but it's so good. It's like I just—I don't so think I can bring myself good. to watch it that much because it's so heavy. But um, man, yeah, it's, I do, I do, I do love the joke about like the guys. Like he was killed by a pipe bomb. He was shot in the head. And there's one guy in the middle who's like, "This is like Joey Walnuts," and it just says like, "He was well liked. He lived a long life with his family." So- <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's
0: you know that's another thing we can talk about Scorsese because his movies aren't comedies. But his movies are sometimes fucking hilarious. Like The Departed. Yeah. <laughs> I laugh my ass off during this movie. So and I would not by any means call it a comedy.
1: Yeah. But there's still so much funny stuff that I laugh at. It's insane. And like uh, Goodfellas has some great stuff. Like I love God. The, when they're at. It's Corsese's actual mom. Uh, when they're oh, at, my and tr- the same <laughs> with the painting. I quote all the time. It's like it's like uh, with the two dogs and the guy in the boat. It's like I like it. One goes this. One looks this way. One looks this way. And the guy's <laughs> like what do you want from me? <laughs> It's it's so great. I mean, there's so much little funny stuff. Oh man, it's Goodfellas is like one of my most rewatchable movies of all time. Like it's insane. And same here, Casino too. Honestly, I've gotten better with Casino. Casino loses a little steam for me uh, in the last like maybe hour. Like near maybe in the middle somewhere, it like loses a little bit of steam. Uh, The first hour is like so fucking good, and it's just like I, I and um. Yeah, but I still really like it. I think I'm surprised I mentioned that in my in my group here. It'd be it'd be up there too. But um, but yeah, I mean, he's got so many good movies. It's just how do you pick? But <laughs> uh, you
0: know, I will I will you know, I will point out something because you were talking about how you wanted to pick a couple off the beaten path, and I would actually argue that The Departed did you i did you mention The Departed in yours?
1: It was up there. Yeah, it's it's I've watched it so much that I that you know I I just really. It's I don't know how to describe it. It's like I've, I've seen it almost as much as I've seen Goodfellas, if not more, maybe. I don't know. So it's like kind of ingrained in me at this point. And I don't think we talked about this. I was about to wrap up. But did you feel like Departed is kind of looked down upon his filmography? Because that's because- actually what I was going to just bring okay. up, because
0: um, <laughs> it's by no means off the beaten path. Like it won him best picture. or Well, it won him best director. It won best picture. It is a it is an acclaimed movie, and it's probably one of the most. Well-known movies of the past twenty years, but yeah, I feel like there's this attitude that a lot of people have that he only won
1: for it. It was like a mercy win for him, like a pity Oscar, like which the Oscars do, they definitely do. And he should have won an Oscar many times before Departed, but he definitely deserved it for That's the thing. It's like, did he deserve for Departed? Yes. I feel like they've given people Oscars who it's like this is not their best role. But like, let's just give him an Oscar. You know what I mean? It's like, oh,
0: absolutely. I remember every movie that was nominated for Best Picture that year. You had The Departed, Letters from Iwo Jima, Little Miss Sunshine, Babel. OK, I don't remember them all. There's one I'm forgetting. But The Departed, those are all very good movies. But The Departed is better than all of them.
1: Yeah, I've seen all of those except for Letters from Iwo Jima. And I've heard good things. But uh, it's Departed is the, yeah, the best movie of that bunch that you said that I've seen. So, um Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: Like the only movies that came out that year that like maybe hold a candle to it or uh, like maybe Pan's Labyrinth or. Uh, oh, yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean,
1: Dead Man's Chest. Okay. I'm Running Scare of Paul Walker. Yes. You know, <laughs> you'll agree with me when you see it. Trust me. No. Deja vu. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get there. Unscottable. It's, kind of, oh, <laughs> it's yeah. so, so far away. That's a cra- Those late Tony Scott movies. I'm like, oh, I get to talk about uh domino in like a year you know
0: Uh, man those last that last run is so good like even taking a pelham one two three which is probably lesser tony scott that's still a really fun movie like you you got you got good stuff to look forward to like you get the you get the weaker ones out of the way pretty quickly i think
1: i i rated uh taking Pelham one two three pretty highly in letterboxd i noticed after i did it like oh this is not a well-liked movie and uh but I thought it was really good. Um, I, I didn't even mention that. My God, I that you have not been on since Unscottable started. And you're the guy that like inspired that whole podcast series. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, there's there's not much to talk about. Like you got the episode out. You
0: guys did a great job. You were uh, you're trucking along. I imagine you're good. it's uh, not
1: that far away from you dropping the Top Gun episode. Actually, the funny thing is that because we, uh, we're recording this, I'm, I'm banking episodes. So I think this will be out after Top Gun and it may it it should be this should come out in between Top Gun and Beverly Hills Cop two this episode so uh but yeah we we've done Top Gun and then it's like it's so yeah I'm like looking in like, that oh.
0: case uh, that that Top Gun episode was really great too. <laughs>
1: that was a good one wasn't it Uh <laughs> um that'll be interesting I don't know what's gonna happen yet because it hasn't been recorded yet but uh, it's you know we're in the this is the past or the future I don't know what's going on but uh we've been going for almost as long as the partage runtime. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we really, we really, uh, we should wrap up. But I, there is so much to say about the departed. It was tough. I felt like there'd be plenty of time. But uh, yeah, well, I don't know. It's it's a great movie. I don't okay, know. What else let to
0: me say. pull up my no- Let's just see if there's any. I'm gonna like breeze <laughs> through these and see if there's anything else I want to bring up quickly. Because I'm gonna be beat. Like after the "When a Stranger Calls" episode, I was beating myself up for certain things I'd forgotten to mention. So I'm gonna see if uh, there's anything. <laughs> Okay, here's a funny little stupid bit. Uh, when I first saw this, in fact, you don't even have to cut me off here. I can just like speed round these. Okay. <laughs> uh, but when I first saw it, I thought that his uh, cousin Sean, uh, the guy that he first gets in the crime with, I thought that that was played by Brian O'Halloran
1: from Clerks. I could see that.
0: Yeah, I, then <laughs> I found out that it was Kevin Corrigan who played the brother in Goodfellows, and I was so disappointed because I'm a big oh, Kevin yeah. Smith fan. Uh, but then Kevin Corrigan went on to have a great career with Judd Apatow and Unstoppable. So things turned. So now I'm a fan of Kevin Corrigan.
1: Fair and it's good. I'm going
0: through my notes. I'm just not going <laughs> to let
1: there be any dead space. I don't want to leave any any stone unturned uh, on this oh. uh, it's oh, a yeah. big movie. So, yeah, <laughs> we'll talk about we'll quickly talk about
0: uh, David O'Hara, who plays Fitzy. He's the guy who can't spell citizens. That guy oh, yeah. has an amazing <laughs> voice. He has this he like does. deep back of his throat voice. It's like, that's not how you spell citizens. Mom. <laughs> I'm not going to make it home for supper. And it's really sounds like he's been, I don't even know how to describe his voice, but it's so awesome. I once I saw him in the trailer for Neil Marshall's doomsday and I'm just like that guy. I want, I would, I want that guy to just narrate this trailer. I want
1: that guy to narrate every trailer. (laughs) He should, uh, man. Also, I hope we haven't let people down. We really did not do that many Boston accents, but uh, I could yeah, how finish. about I do
0: the rest of my quick notes in a Boston oh,
1: accent? Perfect. Great. Do it.
0: <laughs> okay. um, so, uh, Vera Farmiga, <laughs> when, she was doing her, when she was doing her research, she spoke with an LAPD psychiatrist about her role, and she was, uh, the psychiatrist read the script and determined that literally everything that Madeline does in this movie is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so... This this movie doesn't represent psychiatrists uh very uh positively.
1: I'll respond to Boss Next and he'd say, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> you fucking kidding me, kid? <laughs> you lace curtain motherfucker. Um you
0: know, I'm not gonna go I'm gonna stop going through these notes because I feel like I'm just reading them too quickly. Oh, oh no, here's a fun one. <laughs> so at one point, Nicholson refers to, or Costello refers to Madeline as Little Miss Thing. That's even one of the na- the tracks that they use for uh, the titles they use for one of the tracks on the score. Nicholson also refers to a woman as Little Miss Thing in Anger Management. Oh. So I'm wondering <laughs> if this is just a popular ad lib of Nicholson that he tries to squeeze into every movie. It's <laughs> like, if yeah. he, whenever he... They let him do it, he's just like, Yes, baby.
1: Like, I'm I'm wondering if
0: he (laughs) he tried to squeeze it into one flew over the cuckoo's nest or Batman, and uh, (laughs) Tim Burton's like, Jack, the fuck you doing, man? (laughs) And he's like, "Eh, It's okay, I tried. you know what there's something about um i can tell you about the x's on screen whenever someone dies but you know what guys you can look that up on the internet because we're (laughs) running out of time here
1: yeah Uh, we uh it's it's too much to talk about we needed a like a two-parter or something (laughs) i'll just uh
0: i'll just uh spitball a couple of my favorite quotes quickly okay right (laughs) um when uh the when costello is trying to search uh billy he's uh like when, they, when he first wanders into his bar, he's like, I'm going to have my associate here search you. What? Search me for what? Contra-fucking-band. <laughs> that's a, a good way he says contraband. Yeah, that's good. I yeah. also wonder, but is he looking for a wire or is he looking for a DVD copy of the movie Contraband?
1: I don't know. <laughs> you mean Mark Wahlberg's Contraband, bro? Do you want to copy my movie? I can get it to you, bro. I <laughs> so need Oh, sorry go on we need to do mile 22 just so I can do my Mark Wahlberg impression the whole time please let's, let's do that you got to bring me on for mile from I'll do it I'll do that episode I just I oh my god it has to, uh, wow I don't people are be like what the fuck are they doing the mile 22 episode <laughs> I might get mad that I had to watch mile 22 again but you know what it'll be fun I can't get mad I've seen it like three times and I'm fascinated by it but I'm kind of like, angry, but fa- it's it's fascinating. Just watch it. Just question every decision they make in the movie. I'm and, angry that my boy Berg let me down after listen, uh, lifting me up with Patriot's Day. Listen to the line said in that movie, because I also remember looking up who wrote this fucking thing, and they had never written a screenplay before. So
0: I feel bad because it's like it's a female screenwriter and like, geez. Like, it's, I, I don't, I saw an interview with her on the Blu ray after I watched the movie. And like, she seems like a nice woman. Like, if she didn't write such a dog shit script, I'd lo- want to
1: see this woman find success. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, it's so bad, though. It's so goddamn bad. Like, it's insane. I, I really want to really watch bad. it again just because I want to question every the choice that was made. <laughs> anyway, well, let sorry. me get a couple of my favorite quotes in
0: and then we'll go. Um. Oh, yeah. When they're, uh, when uh, French is uh, beating up that one guy, uh, they're beating. Yeah, it's like the first time that Billy's seeing him beat up a guy when he uh, oh. whacks the bookie in the head with uh, the gun. Get Jimmy bags. First off, Leo's trying to explain what he did, and uh, Ray Winston's just giving him that cold, dead stare. And he's like, "What the fuck you doing?" <laughs> and then the guy he's beating up is like uh, trying to explain why he can't pay Costello, and then French is just like. Then make more money. This is America. You don't make money. You're a fucking douchebag. <laughs> that, is a great that line fucking kills me. Um, oh, man. There, I know, there are some lines I'm going to kill myself if I forget
1: them. I'm, yeah, I'm, it's tough. I know. There's so many good ones. All right.
0: Well, while I'm thinking of them, I can tell you one more. Th- I'm sorry, Matt. I'm like usurping your time here. I'll tell you this one fact and then we can go. <laughs> If I forget to quote a quote, it's on me because I came in not prepared enough. <laughs> I do so in the in Infernal Affairs. The microprocessor deal is simply a drug deal, and it's actually the catalyst that kind of kicks off the plot. I think it is hilarious that that scene was translated from Thai selling uh, or from uh, Chinese gangsters buying drugs off of Thai gangsters. Mm-hmm. to the Chinese government buying microprocessors from Boston gangsters. It is literally a
1: screenwriter <laughs> saying, how do I not just one up, but two up? Right. That, that movie? <laughs> I remember reading that, too. I was like, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, no, no. I mean, God, yeah, this movie's great. <laughs> yeah, it's, so good. it's It really is an
0: all-timer. Like, It wasn't a mercy one for Scorsese, guys he deserved it
1: he did he really did um yeah it's it's so good i'm glad we talked about this movie it's it's pretty fantastic (laughs) Uh, thank you for uh yeah thank you for and thank you because actually like i'd watched
0: it so many times and i think i kind of got a little tired of watching it after a while so i stayed away from it but you talking or you sending me that list and me picking the departed caused me to watch the departed again and i rediscovered my love for it wow and i Uh (laughs) it's like I I don't have the patience for my favorite movies that other people do like I don't think I can watch my favorite movies as often as other people can watch theirs so I think I just watched The Departed one too many times in a short span of time so I had to take some time away from it but it had been a while and I watched it again and yeah, I love
1: it just as much as I used to (laughs) that's fantastic yeah it still holds up for me I uh, had not watched it in a while but my god I watched it to death back in like the late 2000s, so uh, yeah, I, I was like watching and I was like, oh yeah, I know like every scene, every line of this movie, right, I just, it's like oh man, it's great um, but yeah, I'm glad we did this, I think we did it justice we did another two and a half hours <laughs> <laughs> but this uh, is a movie that, it that's a justified length to talk that's about, that's true, that's true people should expect this from us, honestly, at this point so, it's just, it's <laughs> people should it's a departed, they should be happy, so uh, the only thing I think people might be sad about is our we didn't do quite as many Boston accents as I think I promised. But again, we're about have like three times, but <laughs> but hopefully they're fine with it. Um. Anyway. Yes. Yeah, so I guess we should wrap up finally, Mark. I will let you plug anything you want to go ahead and plug.
0: Uh, I mean, there's not much for me to plug. You know, I, I will be on uh Lindsay's podcast, uh, schlock and Awe, uh, sometime soon. I don't know if that'll drop before this one or afterwards. So you might've already heard it, but <laughs> if not, uh, keep your ears peeled for it, cause I'll be on that one talking about. I'm not gonna talk about what we're talking about. I'll let it be a surprise. Okay, fair enough. Uh, uh, anything else? Um, there's. I'm. I'm not you <laughs> say. Like, if your town has a pizza hut that doubles as a bar, you
1: can find me there. <laughs> Amazing. I don't. Um, I don't know well, that we've been going a long time we're saying nonsense now <laughs> um anyway yeah and i that reminds me though because uh ken uh, who's been on this my co-host on this show many many times uh ken walker's gonna be on uh schlock and all soon too and i think i really think that one will be out by the time this episode drops so if you if you missed ken on schlock and all either go back and find it or look for it coming up because i don't know <laughs> when this will be out <laughs> Um, I know you
0: could could easily edit this to where it's accurate as to when the episodes
1: come out, but you should definitely leave it this way. Yeah, I won't edit this. It's going to stay in. I don't I don't I try (laughs) to do as little editing as possible. So this will this will stay here. Um, But anyway, you can follow us. (laughs) You can follow the podcast at Film Feast Pod on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Blade eighty seven. Uh, you can follow me and the podcast on Instagram at just justfilmfeast, all one word, and uh, we'll be back next week with something else. But I don't know oh, what it I is. I guess I should. I guess <laughs> I should plug my Twitter too. I forgot to do that. Oh yeah, go ahead. If you want to follow me
0: for absolutely nothing important? Uh, follow me on Twitter at the shape14. That's at capital T H E underscore capital S H A P E and one four. Or you can follow me on Letterboxd at, uh whatever my username is on there. Just look me up under Mark Wanner, because <laughs> I, I don't think I ever see people represented with their usernames on Letterboxd. But That's true. Go yeah. there for the hot takes. <laughs> go there for like... the four-star reviews of Grown Ups 2, or the, I don't know, one-star <laughs> review of Portrait of a Lady on
1: Fire, if I ever get around to watching that. I, yeah, I haven't seen it either. that um, <laughs> but- I feel like if people don't know any better. They would think might think we've been drinking and we're kind of drunk at this point because I feel like I'm just loopy. We but should we should have. Yeah. Drinking. Next time we should have been drinking. Oh my God. Talking mile 22. We get drunk and then we talk about mile 22. Oh, my God. Yeah, I am down.
0: The only way to talk about that movie. And uh, then we can also talk about uh, Patriots stay drunk. And
1: uh, that would be in very poor taste. That might be that might be a bad. So, uh. <laughs> I'll that get I'm drunk for that one. And... You don't have to. Okay, um, but anyway, yeah, no, we're. F- I'm still cold sober, but this is just, yeah, we've talked for a long time. Anyway, Mark, thanks for this movie with me. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and... Thanks for having me. I'm. O- it's always a pleasure. Yes, no, this was a good time. So thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.